Welcome to Savvy Sabs Podcast on Call-In. This is episode 94, Marianne Confronted by Reparations Activists. Former congressional candidate Marcel Dixon asked Marianne Williamson to revise her reparations of plan amounts and to add cash payments in a heated discussion. Marianne accused Marcel of using anti-Semitic tropes. Let's talk about it. And is Marianne already finished in South Carolina? Let's go ahead and bring in a kid. You are on the mic. Hey, Savvy. I'm so happy. I'm, I, I actually can't believe I got in as first. So thank you. I noticed that usually you're not first. So I was like, oh, he made it in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. a long time ago I was first. But now, you know, you got a lot more followers as you should. So no, I'm, I'm, I'm glad even when I'm last, it doesn't matter. I'm good. But, uh, you know, the, Marianne is, is sort of what the, what the way she responded to her, to the person that was talking to her is very much in line with the status quo. You know, this person was pointing out some facts. He laid out a good groundwork of what he was going to talk to her about. He pointed to her that. He accepted that, you know, at least she has a plan. And then he basically gave her some some uh, some criticism that but it was fair the way he was pointing it out that, hey, it's not enough money. And also the money should not be going to anyone else but the individuals in, in, for, for this plan or reparations. And I agree with all of that. And then he pointed out the fact that a number of other groups have gotten reparations over so many decades and yet black folks have not. And I think she should have accepted that. Right. And then he made a point to say that, uh, you know, I guess Jewish folks had also gotten some reparations now. And, and I think he mentioned that the U S had paid for them and she corrected him. I think she said something about Germany was the one that was paying for it, but the U S was facilitating it. And then wow. And then, you know, she went back into what I call more of the status quo response, response where he, she's saying that he's, he's using tropes and that, you know, uh, essentially attacking Jewish folks or just being anti-Semitic. I don't know if she said anti-Semitic. Maybe she did. I can't quite recall. She, it. she did. She said, an, she said anti-Semitic. And, and that's, so the reason why I say that that's sort of the, 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 the standard, you know, response to someone who clearly is not saying sometimes anything anti-Semitic, he's just pointing out the fact of what's happening. He, he did not say anything negative about Jewish people. He did not go after Jewish people at all. All, he's, he, all he pointed out was, hey, these people are getting reparations. And then he made a number of people that he talked about. And Jewish people happen to be one of those people. I don't think there's anything anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic at all. But yet she went there. That is a telegraphing of her way of thinking. And we would have to be worried to have somebody like her because that's not a real ally. That's not really somebody who's really speaking truth to power. Because if she was, she would tell this gentleman, I agree with you. You know, you're right. Uh, the, the plan that I have is not adequate. We, we're not, we don't have enough money. All, all the things that he said were very fair and reasonable. But she had to go there. You know, she had to go there because she had to uh, put herself up against anybody would, who would critique her if she didn't do that. And that, to me, shows her true colors, uh, uh, savvy, if you will. I think that's what she showed today. Yeah, some people told me they felt like 
they felt like she was giving off Karen vibes. Like when I, when I first saw this video, it was actually Roger, it was Roger Meadows that sent me the video and said, or he tagged me and said, oh boy. And I, I clicked on it and I was like, uh-oh. Like I just knew, like instantly I was like, uh-oh. And you cannot have that type of behavior towards someone who's just trying to correct you on the facts. And it kind of reminded me of when she told Nick that he was mansplaining. Yes. That's what it kind of reminded me of. It's like, that's your initial response instead of just accepting the facts. That's right. And so the thing is, if like, if someone disagree with you, is that going to be your automatic response? Are you going to say they're mansplaining? Are you going to say they're being anti-Semitic? Are you going to say that they're talking down to you instead of just maybe doing a little bit more research and accepting that maybe what they're saying is actually correct? You know, that's a, that's a scary, a scary thought that that's how she will respond. And then it takes me back to that article that was written about her where 12 employees that worked on her 2020 campaign complained that she had this type of behavior that she would get pretty pretty uh, uh, aggressive with them and have these outbursts. And now I feel like I'm starting to see some of that because I, I honestly feel like if someone tells me I need to correct the numbers, first of all, I'm a big numbers person. So if someone tells me I need to correct the numbers, I wanna look at that data because I've said this to you guys before, math doesn't lie. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, maybe that's something I need to check out or I need to look into, right? That's right. But I felt like she got defensive and decided to call him names, not only to call him call a name, but to use something something that is so powerful and can be so I, I guess I would say it would really hurt someone's reputation to say that someone is anti-Semitic. And not only that, but you said it in front of a group of people, you're in his state, it's his, it's his state, you don't live there. Mm -hmm. You're trying to convince the people in South Carolina why they need to vote for you instead of Joe Biden. And this is someone who has ran against Jim Clyburn. He does not want Jim Clyburn to win. Instead of looking at Marcel as someone who can be an ally for you to help you in South Carolina, you just pissed off probably the one person who really could have rallied behind you to take down Jim Clyburn. Because Jim Clyburn is not going to tell South Carolinians to support Marianne Williamson. He's going to tell them to support Joe Biden. I know this. I live there. So it's just, to me, it's like, what was she thinking? She was being dismissive, Savvy, by saying her comments, the way she came at him. Also, when she said, now, I think she said something along the lines of, now I'm going to say, or I'm going to uh, protect my people. I can't remember what she said, but she's basically, what? And, and, I'm, and I'm thinking, well, why would you even go there? I mean, that's not a intelligent way of, uh, you know, communicating back in that sort of open forum where you're trying to gain people's support. Why would you go there? Why would you say and get offensive and say, now I'm going to support my people? Wait a minute. First of all, you're running for president. That means you're going to be supporting all of us. So why are you going there right now to say my people? It, that, it just doesn't make any sense. But it shows this underlying tone that she has of maintaining the status quo. And that is a red flag. She is not about to go change the status quo. She's going to give lip service to a lot of things that we feel 
should be happening. But ultimately, you know, I think she's more of the same. And this sort of, you know, goes along those lines. Uh, and it's very telling, you know. There's a way to maneuver through something like that, it, through those conversations. And she doesn't have, definitely doesn't have that charisma and, and the ability to kind of withhold getting upset with somebody in that setting. You know, good communicators and speakers have both charisma and they're also able to take hits real time, meaning if somebody could attack them and they, they're able to deflect the attack in a way that they come across as, okay, they took the hit, but they're not combative. You know, they're not attacking the person that said that message. And in doing that, they actually end up winning the audience because they're not coming off as defensive, right? I mean, there's always, you know, there's a right place and a right time. I'm not saying that you can't be offensive if somebody really goes after you. But this person, this guy was not doing that. He was just sort of pointing the facts. And she immediately went to, you know, the highest peak of like, oh, you're anti-Semitic. And I'm thinking like, what? What are you saying? Why would you even go there? So... It's yeah, that's so incredibly yeah. dangerous. That's so incredibly dangerous. You can't just throw that word out there to people just because they disagree with you. And I didn't think what he said was anti-Semitic at all. And I think that I think this is going to follow Marianne. Look, that video got a lot of views. You know, this goes in line, Savvy, with a lot of the people that are anti-BDS, that as soon as you speak BDS, you're labeled anti-Semitic. As soon as you say anything around BDS, any support of Palestine, any support of BDS, and bam, the status quo is like, oh, you're anti-Semitic. No, I'm not. No, we're not. We're just trying to say, just like in South Africa, when people used to say back in the early 80s, and you would see murals of graffiti that would say, free South Africa. That's what we're trying to do for Palestine. The same thing. But I feel like people like Marianne know that, though. You know, Marianne's been around a long time. I, I think she's very much aware of this. The fact that she, how should she have responded? If I was her and someone said that to me, my response would have been, you know what? Let's get together after the meeting. Let's get together and sit down and talk. And, and let's look over those numbers. That's Could right. That? Could have said something. And I don't know if you realize, but the gentleman that was standing in front of the table at one point, that's the same gentleman that was on the Bad Faith podcast recently when Bree was talking to the two oh. the two gentlemen, one oh, from New Hampshire. One, one guy was named Carlos, I think you said. Uh, Carlos from New Hampshire. Yep. Yeah, and the other guy, one, yeah. Yeah. And the other one was from South Carolina. So that yeah. was that guy. So remember when Bree was asking him, what's the strategy mm -hmm. to help Marianne win in South Carolina? Well, I can tell you one thing. It's not what just happened in that video. No, it's not that. It's not. And that. I think, I think he knew that's why like notice he stood up and he came over there and Marcel was trying to show him on the phone. He was like, look, that <laughs> did happen. I just, I read the articles to you guys tonight. Yeah. Yeah, no, she's going to have a hard time doing anything. I don't know how much traction she's going to keep getting because of, I mean, she definitely doesn't have the left support, even, uh, not even the real left, but people that you would think that they're on the left side uh, for optics purposes. I don't think she has that support even now 
And if she continues like that, it's just going to continue to diminish, uh, you know. So, you know, and and I don't know if you were going to speak about, you know, uh, Trump, you know, getting indicted, I guess. But, I, you know, I know that that's running all over uh, social media today with memes and in, uh, on Instagram and whatnot. But, you know, it's it's so insane that they're going to keep this guy out of, out of running just so that Biden – uh, and, and the Democrats could do their thing. Uh, from what uh, I saw, he can still run. Oh, great. I didn't know um, that. From, from what I saw, now I, I need some more time to look over things because I'm going to cover it tomorrow night. I don't like to I don't like to rush and jump on stories the moment they come out when I haven't had a chance to read over the information. Yeah. Um, but I'll cover it tomorrow night. And But from what I saw right before I went live, people were saying that he can still run for office. So let's let's just remember he has not been arrested and we still don't even know if he's actually going to be convicted. Okay. So and it, uh, you know I'm going to let other people get on but I also wanted to give you kudos on your uh, interview that you did I think with uh, Assange's dad and the other gentleman. I don't know if the other gentleman was an attorney or if he was the guy that put the movie together uh, the 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 Gabriel Gabriel is Julian's brother. Okay, that was his brother. Okay, that I thought that that interview that you did with them was really good um, a couple of weeks ago, and it, oh, it was thank you. yeah, it was very you know it was one of those things that it was very heartwarming to hear them talk, especially his dad, um, and I just I, you know I just find what's going on with him, you know, so terrible that he's he's not been in that he. he there's no charges against him per se, and yet they're nope. keeping him there so long. And he's got kids, uh, you know, he's got a family and, and a life, and, and the guy's just getting uh, essentially slowly uh, murdered by the U.S. Uh, government. And and nobody, you know, within the mainstream media is doing anything about it. Uh, no, they're they're all puppets of the State Department, unfortunately. So anyways, I just wanted to say thank you for that. I thought that was a great interview. Uh, and keep up the, the fight, Savvy. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, let's go ahead and bring in the lovely Miss Delthea. Hello, how are you? Hey, can you hear me? We can hear you loud and clear. Hey, everybody. Well. <laughs> Mary Ann, oh joy, oh rapture! She, mm, she just went to South Carolina and showed her whole ass, didn't she? Just woo, she just let it out there, <laughs> like she was walking down the highway with her, you know, with her skirt tucked in a pantyhose. She just woo, <laughs> woo, honey. Let's oh, that was not a good. That was not a good look. And she knew, and the other thing is, she knew she was being recorded. Yes. Yes. We can't do that whole thing where it was a hot mic and nobody knew it was on. Nope, she knew. She didn't care. Because she had her Karen up and she was going to let her Karen fly. And also, too. Also, she didn't realize who Marcel is. Mar Marcel is a reparations activist. He ran mm -hmm. against Jim Clyburn. He's running mm -hmm. again. 
Uh, but he is very much outspoken about reparations. He went to the mm-hmm. reparations rally in DC. Like he's always talking about it. He hosts Twitter spaces about it, like mm-hmm. on um on Twitter, like for so for those of us that you know know about reparations or know about these organizations or on Twitter, we know who Marcel Dixon is. But it was very apparent to me that Marianne did not realize who she was talking to. She didn't realize she was talking to someone who has all his ducks lined in a row and he has all the numbers and the data. So he knew what it was supposed to be. Well, she, she, Marianne likes Oprah. And that's the black person she wants to deal with. She, she is not, she has not yet figured out. And you think she would have figured out after she went on RBN, she would notice. Not every black person is Oprah. And not every black person aspires to be Oprah. Mm-hmm. You feel me? Yep. So when she goes to South Carolina, and look, I I, I was born in Washington, D.C. I grew up between Washington, D.C. and North Carolina. Pender County, where I grew up, is one county away from South Carolina. I know South Carolina. Marianne Williams ain't got a he had chance in hell in South Carolina. Yeah. And that one chance that she did have, she just threw it away. That's she what came- I, I, was, I was trying to tell people. Like, I know Crystal and Kyle and them, they were like, oh, yeah, I think she can do well. And I'm like, you guys have not lived in South Carolina. I have. Thank you. She came to somebody else's house and was rude to them in their house. Now, I'm going to explain this to y'all who may not have ever been to the South. We will accept reasons for murder. We will not accept excuses for rudeness. She came down there. Not only did she come to somebody else's house, she came to somebody else's house with her hat in her hand asking for something. And then proceeded to treat people who lived there like they didn't know their own stuff. That's what she did. She called a black man anti-Semitic, you guys. Do you see what I mean? Because he questioned the numbers, because he told her about the numbers, and he told her about the history in reference to reparations, and I showed you guys tonight he was correct. How does that make him anti-Semitic? He, oh, he's anti-Semitic because he, he dared to correct her. Not just on the numbers, on anything. You're not supposed to correct her on a damn thing because she know it all. Because she is Karen. I was watching that whole thing and I just kept waiting for her to go, let me speak to your manager. (laughs) Let me speak. I need to see a manager right now. Because that, Mm -hmm. but that was, but that was her calling the manager when she called, when she said that that was anti-Semitic. It's like I was telling, like I was telling a friend of mine just the other day. I said, just because I disagree with you does not mean I'm attacking you. Right. Okay. You'll know when I'm attacking you because of the amount of pain and the copious amounts of blood and the screaming. There's going to be a lot of screaming. So if you're not pain, you're not in pain, you're not bleeding, and you're not screaming, I am not attacking you. 
Trust me, you'll know when I'm attacking you. And on that happy note, I'm going to let y'all go. Mm. Y'all have a pleasant evening, and I'll talk to you later. Thank you so much, Delthea. Yeah, uh, this was this was really not a good look. Um, I hope she issued some type of apology to Marcel. Now, for those who are not aware, Marcel actually was on Hardland's media earlier today. So if you get the opportunity, go check out that interview because uh, he did talk to Kit about this whole situation. And again, it's, it's, it's just, I think it's somewhat embarrassing, but also that is not a good way to start out in South Carolina. Go ahead, Eric. I saw you unmute. Well, I just keep thinking of that moment when she, when, when she goes running over to him, you know? I was like, oh, man. Like, like if they, like, if that would have been like a, a staffer and, and, and just them in a room or just his, her, or her staff, you, you, you know that, that she would have just lit into that person until they, until i don't know until they were in tears or something i don't know i i just think she's a monster personally but (laughs) so you noticed that too when she started to run over because that gave me karen on the run vibes karen boss karen (laughs) yeah that was kind of weird i was like why is she running over there like what what are you going to accomplish are you going to look at the information on his phone no she didn't want to do that and and continue to give him a talking to well, even though he said that he's not anti-Semitic over and over, she continued to tell him that he was. Yeah, I mean, I, I just, yeah. <laughs> not a good look. Not a good look. Let's bring in uh, Bad Cookies. Bad Cookies, let's hear your take on all of this. How you doing tonight, Sam? I want to dump on my Red Sox. Oh, man. <laughs> Red Sox suck, man. Mets are better. Yankees are better. I saw the score and I wanted to cry. So uh, let's. I'm I'm sorry, Sam. All right. Um, uh, I wanted to ask you about your hundredth episode. That's really quickly approaching. Are you going to do anything special to celebrate your hundredth episode? I haven't decided yet. I feel like I should, though, huh? Yeah, it's a milestone to celebrate. You know, it's hundred episodes. It went by really quickly, too. I feel like we just started calling like a couple of months ago. It's it's crazy that it's already, we're already yeah. almost at a hundred. I'm trying to figure out how that even happened so quickly. <laughs> well, um, congratulations on your hundredth episode. Uh, you've been doing a great job and thanks a lot for doing it. Uh, Eric took my talking point. Uh, I wanted to talk about how she rudely approached him and uh when she had that outburst like that her karen outburst the first thing that came to my mind was you know that you're looking to be a president would that be a very presidential thing to do would you do that to a constituent or someone who votes for you that was not the right thing to do and then it dawned on me a few hours later like wait that is something a current president of today's era would do it's something a trump would do it's something a biden would do so these rude outbursts like that like you understand these are people that are voting for you that that support you you can't be talking to them like that and when you said oh this is going to follow her around you're damn right it's going to follow her around because if this is happening in public now what do you think happens behind closed doors you know that's the scary part like again like i said this was in front of other people there was a camera there she realized she was being filmed 
Also, did you notice that that room was pretty empty? Yeah, that's another thing that really, like, it really irked me was her, I, I, I know that it's her COVID protocols to have, like, one individual person per table. And that really bothered me because, like, oh, you, you're going to have them here for your COVID protocols, but not going to have them wear a mask. You're, you're only doing this half-assed. This is all, like, this is all for show for you. You know, this isn't anything serious. It's so triggering. I'm, I'm sorry, Sebs. I don't mean to get uh, upset here. But no, it, I, I, I totally see your point. I just, honestly, I'm thinking about it and I'm like, I, I, I'm just thinking about how my mom would have felt if she was there. Cause my parents are, my parents retired in South Carolina. So I'm just wondering like, what on earth would my mom have said if she saw this, like these events unfold, my mom would have probably been like, wow, you don't have to do all of that. <laughs> <laughs> my mom has no filter. She says exactly what's on her mind. So yeah. I just think that I think this says something about like Marianne's temperament, but not only that, like she needs to get those numbers correct. Mm -hmm. I showed you guys tonight, like according to Dr. Sandy Darity, if you go back to 1983, they were saying it should be 1.7 something trillion. Then it's 2023 and she's proposing 1 trillion. And then she doesn't even want to give the money directly to the people. She wants to give it to, uh, uh, reparations council and let them decide what to do with it. Why are they going to decide what to do with my money? Like that, that makes no sense to me. Like just give the money to the people just like you did for Japanese Americans that were in the internment camps. You gave direct cash payments to them. And what's crazy is, and I say this again, you guys, that happened under Ronald Reagan, under a Republican president. Yeah, it's a, uh... It's I said it on your stream and it's unfortunate, but it's it's not it's it's a sad state where the government doesn't take uh, black history serious because they've they've given reparations to other people. Like you mentioned on your show, they gave reparations to the Japanese internment camp people. They gave reparations. He like Marcel said, they gave reparations to uh, the Jewish folk. You know, they've given reparations to a lot of people, I believe. Even Native Americans have received reparations, haven't they? They wouldn't refer to it as that. Um, when I, I talked to a couple of indigenous activists last year, Delilah, Decolonized Buffalo podcast. Um, there was another woman, too, that was brought on by Decolonized Buffalo uh, podcast. And these were the water protectors. So when I when I did ask them about that, they do not describe it as reparations they said that they have things like treaties, things like that, but they do not refer to it as reparations. I did also ask them if they wanted reparations or if they were asking for reparations. And that panel told me they were not asking for that. Like their focus was land back. Um, and there were other things too. Oh, the, the water. Cause like I said, mm. these were the water protectors. They did not want the US government having any type of control basically over their water on the reservations. And you know, the US government has put these pipelines through. We still have this issue with the pipelines. Remember stop line three, they've been trying to put pipelines through the Appalachian, like so on indigenous land. So that seemed like that was more their concern. Now that's only in reference to that panel that I spoke to. I can't, not sure about the, the entire indigenous uh, population. Okay, thank you for that. Um, yeah, it's just 
it's it's rude that our government treats people that we've wronged in our history as poorly as it does. And that was my, my overall point there. Um, uh, that's really all I wanted to talk about, Sebs. I'll, I'll get off the mic and let everyone else talk. Thank you so much for your time. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Bad Cookies. Uh, Miss Noel. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is a perfect yes. time for you to sign in. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you called? Um, <laughs> you know, I have two... Um, First of all, good evening, everybody. But I have two um, concerns with Marianne in terms of her display with Marcel Dixon. The first is, you know, to examine what she snapped at. She snapped because he had the unmitigated gall to suggest that the U.S. government had facilitated the repair of the descendants of the German Holocaust, the survivors. And he was like, you proved he was correct. And I had dropped a link to something that was on Debbie Wasserman Schultz page about the same thing. So first of all, he was right. And whether she was aware of that or not, she could have said, well, you know, I'm not um, specifically aware that but based on the way he was conducting himself and rolling off information with confidence, just instinct would have said, you know, maybe he knows more than I do about this. So I'm going to, you know, just play it safe. And, you know, until I get to more information about what he's talking about. But she took personal offense as a woman of Jewish descent that he suggested that America had somehow facilitated Jewish reparations. And that's something to, you know, she wasn't even open to the discourse. And I was saying to myself, why are you taking this in such a personal manner? But if you notice throughout the entirety of the American national discourse, there is never a real discussion about the role that the American Jews, and I'm talking about the Jews who were here before the Holocaust started in Germany, what role did they play in the enslavement and the institution and perpetuation of the institution of slavery in this country? When we talk about slavery, it often devolves into a discourse about black and white, black and white. But within that white ethnicity, there were people who were of a Jewish descent. And they there was some role that they played, and it's a real touchy subject. And the other thing that bothers me is whenever you say something that Jewish people take offense to, the first thing is, the knee-jerk thing is anti-Semitic, anti-Semitic. And it's, it's interesting because I see how We understand that white people don't want everything to be, you know, every criticism they have of black people, they're, oh, you racist, you racist. It's not a knee-jerk thing. But in this case, I'm saying, you know, anti-Semitic in today's framing is a very powerful label to append to somebody, especially when all he was suggesting was that the U.S. government had facilitated the efforts to secure repair 
for the survivors of the Holocaust, the German Holocaust. And the issue he was making is, and he said it, my people who built this country and he had personal descendants who had fought in the um, World War II to secure the freedom of Jewish people has received nothing from this country not reparations and no support from the government to facilitate reparations. So that was the irony that he was drawing attention to, but she took such personal offense. And, and so those two things were really bothersome to me because they speak to her um, candor and they speak to, as you say, her temperament in terms of No. No. Oh, so no one's hearing anything either. Hello. <laughs> now. Oh, maybe maybe Sabby's having a an audio problem. Okay. Well. The other thing that I have a real problem with is when she articulates, yeah, you know, Sherman promised the survivors of the um, Civil War, 40 acres and a mule and this and that, and Marcel is absolutely right. If you do the actuarial numbers, it will come up to the trillions and this and that. And then to go on to say, but this is what I'm offering. And if you don't want this, you can wait till somebody else comes along and offer you. And I'm like, hold on. It is about the right thing. If you owe me and you're saying, well, we, sh Marcel is right. We can't tell them how to spend the money. If you're acknowledging a debt, then a, an honorable person is saying, and let's get this debt right. Not, ooh, I'm going to just give you what I want to give you. That's not how debt works. You pay me what is owed. And if it is not clear, then we need to come into some understanding about what is owed. Not just you just pull a number out of your head and say, take it or leave it. Especially when you're trying to get my vote. See, that's the problem I have. You know, either you're going to come to this table and be about right. Or you're just going to be another snake oil salesman who just offering people whatever you want people to have. But and, you know, this is why I have, you know, it it bothers my heart because this issue about reparations for the descendants of American slavery is such a hot issue. And, you know, I know everybody doesn't have the same understanding of American history, but fundamentally, we all know that the first economic engine for this nation was chattel slavery. And we know broadly that they were not paid. That's why they were called slaves, because they had no agency over their lives and they were paid dust. And so just as a human being, a thinking person, you're saying, well, if people worked, 
they deserve pay. And if the record is they never got paid, then something is owed. That money, that economic wherewithal that was created from their labor did not disappear into thin air. And everybody who was a part of the nation as it developed reaped some benefits from that labor. So, of course, there is a debt that's due. And we're just talking about the labor of the slaves. Then you move into the era of Jim Crow, where the the organizations and the Black Wall Streets and communities that the former slaves and descendant of slaves managed to build were destroyed and nobody was held accountable. There is a cost to that. That is a real harm that was caused and the government sanctioned it, you know, so let's just be honest about it. And then we could work out the details, but it is, you know, such an acrimonious thing because people don't want to just be honest and say, yes, something is owed and we need to figure it out. I think that goes a long way to repairing the breach within class between working class blacks and whites. And like somebody suggested on the um, the chat when during the podcast, well, why don't we just do a universal basic income? Won't that be okay for reparations? And like you articulated, reparations is a debt that's owed. So if I'm owed $100 and you come and say, well, we're going to do universal basic income, I get the debt on top of the UBI. But, you know, and to me, that is a testament that all of America understands that the descendants of slaves are the very bottom of the U.S. social register. And when you propose anything that would unchain us from the very bottom, people get outraged because, again, it strikes that identity issue and people are saying, well, if they're unleashed from the bottom, what happens to us? Who becomes the new bottom? And I think that that's just such an interesting conversation, I think, that needs to be had. That's what separates the U.S. from France. That's why we can't do these big things, because we can't get past that issue. And just like Marianne, sometimes I feel like white America is saying, well, this is what we offering, and either y'all going to go with it, or that's just too bad. But we're not going to cross that reparations thing. Y'all need to be happy with whatever we all can get. But we're not here for justice for you. We're just here for whatever we can get through solidarity. But that's just it. And and that is very, you know, demoralizing to us who have lived this history. And I think Marianne just, you know, botched up everything. But she showed us who she really is. And I think we need to believe her. Yes, other people of uneven temperament, people may be explosive. I can get that. But she showed me that she is not the woman of integrity that I would be looking for because you're willing to shortchange people on the proposal of reparations without any discourse, without any explanation. You're the type to just say, well, this is what I'm offering. That's that doesn't work for me. 
Okay, can you guys can you guys hear yep. me? Yep, you're good now. Okay, hold on one second. <laughs> well, we can also bring in a sheriff. Yeah, one second. Let me just I'm on the computer. Hold on. Oh, as far as working. Okay, can you hear me on the phone? I think so. I can Yeah, see, I can't hear you guys on the app. I don't know what happened. Um Okay. But um very weird. Are you able okay. to run the call in queue? I can I can hear you on the laptop for but for some reason the volume on the the app completely cut out. Can you hear me? Hmm. Yeah, I can hear you. I'm talking to you guys through the computer. But um the question I had was if I I can leave the room and come back in, but will that kill the room? Um I don't think so. Okay, cuz I think I did this one time before. <laughs> well, like or, how um, do I Well, you're in here on the laptop, so you, you could just um reboot your phone. Um <laughs> Mastermind hours said Mastermind always said this app is almost as stable as Marianne Williams. <laughs> and I think if I leave this app, it's going to end the room. Can you come in through the phone and then once you're in through the phone, go out of the app? Um, now, Neoliberal Tears, I thought of this too. Can you make me a moderator? Yes. For the, um, for the room? Okay, I just promoted you as moderator. Oh. There we go. Okay. I think you should be okay now. Whatever All right, you let me leave, let me leave the app and come back. All right. We'll see what happens. I don't know. Meanwhile, Ashura, can you unmute? You got anything to say to us? <laughs> yeah, the Eric show now, Bad Cookie says. There you are, Ashura. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's weird where Sabby's not, no, it's not talking. It's, Eric, it's the Eric show. I know. Okay. Welcome to the Eric T. Red show. Ashura, what's your question or hey, comment? It's working now. <laughs> hey, all uh, right. <laughs> I do have one. I do have a something a little, a little quirk here. Uh, with, with kind of... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think Sabi had two things going. All right, try again, Ashura. <laughs> yeah. Um, the title description basically has a second line that I think Sabi needs to correct that one. Yeah, that was autocorrect, man. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> yeah, Sabrina, I think you're going to need a headset or something. I, I closed the one on the computer, so. Okay. Yeah, uh, I was, when I saw the video, uh, Roger sent it to me. I'm like, why is Roger sending me shit? I'm like, oh. like it to me, too. Yeah, I'm like, what is this? So I go on and I'm seeing, I'm like, oh, it's Marianne. I'm like, what the fuck am I going to learn on this? And it's Marianne just bitching on a black man. And then call him anti-Semitic. And I believe we talked about this uh, maybe last time, that was Tuesday, when I told you Nico House uh, was called uh, a Nazi by uh, Jackson Hinkle. Yep. Biden's privilege, called him a Nazi. You're not supposed to call somebody a Nazi. I mean, you even defended Jackson for a guy calling him a Nazi. Now she's like saying, oh, if you question me on her Jewishness, she'll call you anti-Semitic. Like the guy wasn't even questioning her Jewishness. She was basically stating a fact 
she didn't want to hear the fact because that probably showed her ass that she did. She she's basically a ditzy person that she doesn't know shit. She was just talking out of her ass, and she couldn't handle the question. And she said that the guy was. Uh, she was. I, I was hoping the word mansplaining was coming out of her mouth. <laughs> yeah, I know it. That's what it kind of reminded me of, though. Like when she said that to Nick, I'm like, wait a minute. So every time someone disagrees with you, you're gonna you're gonna either like get defensive or insult them. Is that yeah. how this works? Yeah, because I'm like, I did, I'm watching this shit. I'm like, where's Notori? I mean, where's Notori? Like. Can Roger just give Notori my 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 uh plane ticket to go uh, <laughs> show show him how it's done to Jamal Bowman? Just give it to Notori. She can go to South Carolina and walk Marianne like a dog. <laughs> I don't know why Notori says that. <laughs> Marianne, Marianne, I just walk like a dog. Just I don't know why. Why does Notori say that? Notori, you on the call? I bet you Notori on here somewhere. Natori yeah, grabs me up when she says that. Marianne, Anna, yeah, I thought it was a Cabbage Patch Kids thing. I mean, no, she, she made that <laughs> shit up. And, and yeah, she she gives Karen vibes. I know you basically you were defending her last time, but now you see for what she is. She doesn't give a shit about black people. She she doesn't give a shit about black men questioning her. What she wants is these PMC docile black women. That's why when you were there on the uh, show with Nick. He was. She, she didn't give a fuck what Nick had to say. There's a point where she was just t- turning at you. She was like, "Hey, Sabby, you got my number. You, if you want to talk, you can talk to me." Like, you're like, that's 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 like dismissive. She doesn't give a fuck what Nick had to say. By she, the way, I just want to clear something up really quick. I do not have Marianne's number. I don't know why she said that. Maybe she thought I did. I've never had her phone number, ever. <laughs> and two, it's really funny because I'm actually not the one who set up the interview. And a lot of people think that, like, there are people like, oh, well, Sabby doesn't want to lose access to Marianne. I'm like, the fuck are you talking about? I don't have Marianne's phone number. And I did not set up that interview. Nick actually set up that interview with Marianne. And in fact, she was the one who said, yes, let's do it to Neo's algorithm. Neo's algorithm was the one who said, Marianne on Twitter, will you go on RBN? And she said, yes, let's do it. And Nick said, okay, well, DM me. I had nothing to do with arranging this interview. And that's what's so funny to me, how people think that like, oh, yeah, well, Sabby, da, da, da. I interviewed Marianne Williamson for the first time two years ago. And the second time I interviewed her was last year. And she was a part of a panel. Other than that, I had no interaction with Marianne Williamson. So does Neo work for Marianne or something? I have no idea. Because <laughs> I, I, I came on his his YouTube channel one time. I never went back. And he was asking me questions. Like, I guess he, she wanted to funnel those questions to Marianne. She wanted to know what my policies were, what I would want in a presidential, a president. Like, she wanted to know what I, what I, what I wanted. And I guess she was doing that just to funnel questions to Marianne, just to see if, get, to get Marianne uh, to the finish line. Because in the chat, in the YouTube chat, I was like saying to you, Where's Kyle and Crystal? Where are they? Where are they at? I mean, are, are they going to talk about this? Is Kyle going to smear uh, Marcel? Just like he 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 hid facts, he hid facts uh, on that article, the same way he hid facts on Jimmy Dore over Anna Kasparian. It I mean, probably it would probably be best for him if he ignored it altogether because yeah, that's what, Kyle that's number one doesn't really a hundred percent agree with reparations to begin with, and number two. 
if he came after Marcel, there's a whole organization that will tear Kyle to shreds. Yeah, they'll tear him a new asshole more than Crystal does. Uh, what? <laughs> Ashura. It's not me. I, I forgot who said it. It was Robin. Robin was the one that said that one time in the chat that Crystal <laughs> pegs Kyle. So, oh. Ashura. <laughs> Oh my god. I mean it's kind of true. If you, you, you haven't just <laughs> you haven't seen them together in that video, he can't make one raunchy joke without her looking at him weird. No, I actually don't watch Crystal and Kyle. <laughs> he can't make one raunchy joke without her just looking at oh that that was nasty. Oh that was bad. He's like, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, dude, she got your balls in her purse, along with that uh, stack of uh, uh forty million dollars. No, he just got crystallized in the whack. <laughs> in the what? What is the, what is this language you guys speak? Sorry, of? sorry. Well, you never saw the video with Cardi B. I'm pretty sure she knows the video. Knows. She knows the video. Oh, people made fun of Jen Ben Shapiro over that video. <laughs> oh my god, I, I don't, I don't even know what to say. I, I don't know what to say. How did we get here? How did we get here? Yeah. I'm going. I'm gonna put. I put something in the chat. Now you could check these numbers, right? Um, but uh, what do you call it? Um, yeah, it shows you pretty much who got what from the U.S. Okay. Um, also, something occurred to me. Um, so Bernie Sanders, when when Tanahasi Coates hit him with the reparations question back during the 2016 election. And caught him off guard, where <laughs> he was just like, uh, "No, <laughs> okay." It's interesting when you take a when you take a look at it because he's supposed to be the labor guy, okay. And you're talking about a group of people who labored from sunup to sundown and never got paid, but yet he wasn't the labor guy for us. You know but remember, saying? but remember what Dr. West said when I when I interviewed him and I asked him about that, mm -hmm. like why Bernie didn't agree with that. Mm -hmm. What did he say? I forgot. <laughs> no, I'm talking about Dr. Cornell West. It, that he didn't think he didn't he he didn't agree with doing a program that was for one group of people. He agreed with doing programs that was for every group, every group. Program so, reparations yeah. is not a fucking program. It, it's a debt owed. It's also a labor issue, but I know. I know. I I, I totally hear you. But Cornel yeah. West tried to have that conversation with him and tried to explain to him like why it's needed. I also remember Nina Turner told uh, Bernie Sanders that he should have had a reparations plan, and Bernie Sanders was not having it. He he felt like basically if he did that, it would alienate the white working class, That's which bullshit. in turn would alienate votes for him per se. Oh, that, that's, yeah. a, that's a bunch of bullshit. It, it, it brings back the fact that uh, I think uh, uh, Noel was the one that brought this up. She brought up that Bernie Sanders like fought for uh, reparations for his people, and somebody in the chat in your YouTube said that um, Bernie Sanders like had she headed some kind of commission, and they basically gave reparations to uh, to his people. And I'm like, Noel must have been ahead of the curve when it came to that, or probably was following Bernie Sanders long before he came to the to the scene. 
or she might have researched that. It's about that on stream too. And see was, what he it did. Was Phil Scott. Go ahead, Noel. But it was it was Phil Scott who brought that up on one of his shows, and he pointed to the legislation where Bernie Sanders has signed off on that. Right. Bernie Sanders supported legislation that made it possible for the State Department to support the efforts for the um, French to pay those reparations to the um, survivors of the Holocaust and their descendants. And so, you know, but when you get down to it, when it comes to these presidential candidates, just like Sabrina suggested, their resistance to the concept of reparations mm -hmm. has to do with their perception of how white America will respond. It has nothing to do with whether it is legitimate, whether it is old or anything like that. They're simply concerned with how white America will respond. And I always say white America responds like they do because no one has taken the time to really explain and lead them so that they understand. It's not just that the former slaves did not get repaired, but because they did not get repaired plays a large role in terms of explaining why so many of their descendants are at the bottom of the economy today. When you look at many white families who benefited and were able to pass those resources forward and this, that, that's why some of them are doing so well today. And in addition to not being repaired, at every step of the way since the Civil War, the U.S. government has aided and abetted efforts to keep us at the bottom, redlining and everything associated with Jim Crow, those things kept us tied to the bottom. And so that is a part of the harm that these people have suffered. And, and like I always say, how can you explain with the descendants of slaves having been here for as long as we have, how do you explain all these immigrants who have come from various parts of Europe being able to come in, establish a base, and then within two or three generations, they're everything under the sun from judges to doctors to this. And they're not anchored to the bottom of the economy. We still are. Something artificial is holding us down. And the history is when we attempted to build it out of our own resourcefulness, it was destroyed. It was burned down. We were massacred. There's that whole thing about generational trauma and no one was ever held accountable. That said something. No, that that says something. There's, there's, there's more that goes into that too, because I have like international friends and they've explained this to me, like, cause I've asked them about this many years ago and the way it was explained to me Friends of mine that came from countries like India and came from countries like Nigeria, even some of my friends that came from countries like Germany, they already had money when they came here. For the ones who did not, people have to understand if you want to start a business in the United States and let's say you are an immigrant and you just move here, you don't have to pay taxes on that business for the first 10 years. So you know who told me that? 
Mr. Marty. Do you know who Mr. Marty is? Mr. Marty was the guy. He owned a salon. This is when I lived in Columbia, South Carolina, when I was in college. He owned a salon down the street from my parents' house. I used to go to that one because that was the cheaper one to go to. By the way, getting your nails done in the South is way more expensive than getting your nails done up here in Boston. Like, in Boston, it's so cheap because there's so many nail salons here. But anyway, Mr. Marty was the best. So I'd go to see Mr. Marty if I wanted to get my nails done, which I need to do that because they look bad. But anyway... I asked Mr. Marty about that. Mr. Marty said that him and his entire family, they all lived in one apartment when they first came here. All of them, not just his immediate family members, all of them. And then he said that they all became nail techs. He said it doesn't take long to to get that certification. And then he said, he was like, you know what? I want to start my own business. And he was the one who told me that in the U.S., if you come here as an immigrant and you want to start a business, you don't have to pay taxes on that business for the first 10 years. And that is very different from the rest of us. Because, like, if you're from here, guess what? You do have to pay taxes, like, on that business. So they have that 10-year gap where that's money that they don't really have to, they don't have to lose. So that that's part of it. But to Noel's point, that does says something. Now I will say a lot of the international students that I've worked with that have come here, they have money because to come to college here as an international student, especially if you're going to school like Boston University, MIT, you, your family has to prove that they can cover tuition for all four years. That is a part of the admission requirement because they don't qualify for financial aid because they're international students. So a lot of those kids, like if you come up here to Boston and Boston does have a large international population and so do the universities. So if you come up here and you go by these schools like BU and MIT and a lot of those students are international students and they come from pretty wealthy families. Like some of my students were driving like Mercedes. So that's the difference. And that's not just students coming from countries like India or Germany. That includes students coming here from countries like Nigeria. So if you already have it and then you come here, it's going to be a little bit easier for you. The only thing you really got to focus on is getting that work visa. So I think th- this is the piece that a lot of us don't understand. Again, we don't get those kind of breaks here in the United States. Like, if I wanted to start a business, like, I got to do it the hard old school way. Like, I'm not getting a tax break for the first 10 years. That's not how it works. Well, Go ahead, Cheryl. That's capitalism for you. But it's the same thing they did to, to us, my family, when we moved in. They were asking us questions. Uh, what do you owe? How much they're worth? How much money do you have? Uh, luckily for us, we didn't basically, we, we, we didn't have it. We didn't have it rough in the first uh, five years. We managed to basically, like, took five years for us to get a house. Uh, the question I was going to ask you, I, this is a question I've been keeping it to myself, maybe so since the word reparation came around, so I might as well say it. Um, since they, they, they don't want to give you reparations, why don't you guys just build back your wealth just like you did back before, uh, during the days of Wall, uh, Black Wall Street, if they don't want to give it to you? Well, I mean, for, for one thing, Every time we did, they knocked it down. Let's not forget about it wasn't just about um, having towns burned down. Um, Eisenhower's interstate highway system barreled through and completely destroyed black neighborhoods. 
So they decided to, to run run it through our neighborhoods and completely just disrupted the, the, uh, the little community economies that we had. Um, but, uh, I mean, yeah, we've always tried, you know, so it's not like we haven't tried it before. You see what I'm saying? We have a history. By the way, uh, I was going to add, they still do that. They're still putting highways through black communities in the United States, which hurts the businesses. Because again, like if, especially if you don't have a car and they put a highway through a black neighborhood, how are you going to get to those businesses now if you don't have a car? They still do this till this day. And you have to examine what was happening in the country through those periods. When racism was more pervasive before the civil rights movement, it forced all of the blacks to kind of live yes. in the same communities. And right. so therefore you had the, the black doctors, the few that were the black educators, they were in the same neighborhoods with the black working class. But after civil rights and a easing of some of the discriminatory practices in housing, the blacks who were able to access wealth were able to move into the suburbs with white people and this and that. And so you had a type of white flight, I mean, a type of black flight that, you know, paralleled the white flight. And so now as a community, there is such dissonance because you have the people who are the elite income earners, which are by and large the entertainment class. And, you know, we have some doctors and lawyers and what have you now, but they live amongst the elite class. And so there is no wealth that's moving through the community many times over to build that community. So when those of us who could leave, and I'm saying those of us, and I'm dirt poor, but I'm just talking, child. When those who could afford to leave left, we were left largely in deprived neighborhoods, which is still parallel to the redlining. So it's not that we've ever stopped working, or it's not that the working class Blacks have ever stopped trying to build but the strategy has changed. And now, so instead of trying to build a community, the objective is to escape it and to live in the suburbs and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and so it's just a different thing. But to Roger's point, there has been and remains a energy and a strategy in this country that continues to work deliberately to make sure that those who were pinned to the bottom remain pinned to the bottom. That's how capitalism works. And in order to stabilize it, the elites force this wedge between working class blacks and working class whites. And we're so busy fighting amongst ourselves that the elite just run away with the bag. And that's just the, the paradigm that's been in place. And that's why I'm saying if we could get past that divide, then we could unite around a class-based agenda that includes reparations for the descendants of slaves, and then we have a fighting chance. But, you know, as long as you demoralize the Blacks who descended from slavery and say, well, the best we can do is whatever we can do for everybody, the rising tide will lift all boats, you're saying you're denying the debt that's owed. And that is just fundamentally, um, you know, just it, it leads us to be dispossessed. 
Now, you brought up civil rights a little bit. Uh, so he's saying that civil rights had a little bit of negativity by telling the world, you got to now, we can now live with whites. Yes. But they all, they all rushed out. All the, all the, those who could have helped the communities, ghetto communities, yes. to help build them back up. Because the government ain't doing shit to help the ghetto communities. So it had to be like these rich black people could have basically done something, but they'd rather just go live with white people and be accepted by them. The so, best the best economic times for African Americans in this country was after Reconstruction. Yes. Because the dollar turned in the black community and it didn't leave the community. But this is also why MLK came back and said, I think I sent my people into a burning house. Yeah. Because once integration started, and this is not to shame on integration, but once integration started, the black dollar left the community. And so did some of the businesses. Now, to be fair, there were several black Wall Streets. A lot of people mentioned Tulsa, but there were multiple black Wall Streets. And every time they became successful, they were burned to the ground. So every time in this country when black people as a community tried to come together and establish wealth as a community, not individuals, not LeBron James, but as a community, it was burned down. Do you think that was like part of the plan? If they can't give you reparations and you try to build your wealth back up, the plan was to also destroy that. It was never supposed to be more successful than the white businesses. Like that was the thing. Like once those communities had businesses that became more profitable than the white businesses, that's when they saw it as a threat and they burned it down. Okay. And my last question is Marianne basically seems like she's gone to 1983 on her number for the reparations. Uh, before, before 1983, 1983's recommendation was 1.74 trillion. Yeah. Cause I'm like, why is she taking $1 trillion? Like $1 trillion could be spent that quickly nowadays. Why not basically make it make it a hundred trillion? I mean, there, there's been many many laws, many uh, 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 affronts made against uh, African Americans. So why not make it a hundred trillion dollars? Pay it in fifty years. Because well, that's a is, selling is point. If I can exactly. tell you, we owe, we actually owe them a hundred trillion. But I'm just proposing one trillion. Then people are like, "Oh yeah, we getting off on a bargain." <laughs> and I'm like, hold on. Who are you to cut the amount down? Yeah, and, again, this guy, this guy on Twitter argued with Marcus because yeah, Marcus yeah, I, said, "You saw that, Ashura?" Yeah, I was I, I was watching. The, then I went on. I went on his page, and there was this one dude who kept arguing with every single body that came that came in, into that comment section, that tweet, and he was getting bodied left and right. And he was basically saying Mary Ann was the best one who got. <laughs> one guy said, oh, that's really, so $1 trillion is enough for the entire community? $1 trillion? She couldn't basically increase he, that number? He I'm said like, that like, we need to, he was basically saying we need to take what we can get. Yes, so exactly. Marcus, I'm like, that's crumbs. Yeah, so Marcus came back and Marcus said, if we're owed a certain amount, you're saying we should just settle for less just because? Uh, he said Marianne's the best we got out of, out of, the, out of a third option. <laughs> In the Democratic Party. And here's the thing that continues to bother me. Where is the concern about justice? 
You know, we're supposed to be a nation of laws. We talk about the home of the brave and the land of the free. But when it comes to that issue, it's always take what you can get, this and that, go on about your business. And I'm saying that's that latent white supremacist thing that knows what's being proposed will not be satisfactory. But it's like, just go on and take it and go somewhere and sit down. Because we're tired of hearing about this, but there is no full-throated discussion about what does justice really look like? What, what it, would it really look like? I'm not saying give me $300 trillion, but I'm saying let's talk about what it really should look like. You know, you don't just get to come up and say, ooh, I'm willing to give you $10 now, go home. It just doesn't work that way. I was I was waiting for Marianne to say that the the general who basically said that he was going to give you forty acres and a mule. He didn't say that in writing. I was waiting for that excuse. He didn't say that was in writing. He said that verbally. What somebody says verbally is nothing compared to what he says is in writing. Here's the thing: Jewish Americans who survived the Holocaust and their descendants are still pursuing stuff. You know, there was just an article about a, a woman in Germany who was, I think at the time, 87 years old. She had been a administrative in one of the death camps and they went after her. But we sit over here with Emmett Till's accused. accused Carol Bryant. Carol Bryant. And, and it's like everybody's like, well, it's too late to statute of limitations. But you were supportive of them going after people years you know, so where's the parity? And I've always felt that given our history and given what happened to the Jews through the Holocaust, Jewish Americans and the descendants of those who have survived the Holocaust should perhaps be some of our biggest allies in the fight for reparations because they know what it means to need repair. You should be the biggest ally on the planet because you know what it means. I know you're the biggest amendment guy here, Roger. Do you not think that even the word, uh, uh, what is it, statute of limitations should be amended? That word itself, just amend that word. If you basically done harm, why we got to wait for people to say, oh, well, a couple of years have passed. Let it go. The statute of limitations has passed. Let it go. Why should it be? I mean, you can't really apply that to reparations, though. I mean, you owe money, you owe money. Wait till they say that. <laughs> you know what I mean? But um, going back to a, a couple of things, um, I don't know if I was having this conversation with you, Sabrina, or someone else, but when you was talking about, or, or, and I know when you and um, Noel were talking about, we were more together before um, the uh, Brown vs. Board uh, went into full effect or whatever. I remember watching something on YouTube um, and, they, and Sammy Davis Jr. He was talking about, you know, I used to see all, you know, like we used, I used to see all the black entertainers at the club and whatnot. We, we bump into each other. We shoot the shit and everything, so on and so forth. But once the, uh, all the civil rights in the sixties passed, all that different type of stuff, He's like, yo, we we I hardly even bumped into them anymore because you know, like like we was just saying, they went to you know, outside of the community and so on and so forth. So that's what I was thinking about when you know she was Noel was mentioning 
about how a lot of the uh, rich left the community and so on and so forth. But um, also what she was, what, what Marianne, Marianne was talking about in terms of, hey, I'm going to give it to these group of people and they will give it to you. That sounds like uh, what the, the, what the California NAACP chapter was trying to ask the, um, the, the, the task force, uh, you know, like, hey, no, give it to us. We'll give it to black people. You know what I mean? And yeah, black- like this is not past the buck. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. Like, I don't know where this comes from, but this is not past the buck. It's like, I'm just going to give it to this this group and then they can decide what to do with the money. Who yeah, the that's, hell are these people? Yeah, that Who comes are from- the people on the council? Who are you trying to go to? They were like civil rights leaders. Who? Like Jesse Jackson, the um, same guy who sold out MLK. And we supposed to trust him? That yeah, money's gonna get eaten eaten very soon. It, it'd be like it'd be like getting a chicken bone with just some meat left over on it. I can't. Um, it be this yeah. is crazy. It would be just like the Freedmen's Bank. They would appoint administrators yeah. over it, this and that, and over time they would be pilfering that money and and you know getting it to the people they wanted to get it to, and the others would suffer. But the only and thing we, I could agree with Marianne is the fact that she could ask these leaders what is the amount of money they should be paid, but the government should be the one giving the people the checks. Because it's the government that basically did the harm. Why should you give a bunch of black capitalists who are going to spend it on themselves? And uh, finally, uh, I, did, <clears throat> I did find funny that the coon squad basically came in trying to circle this dude. He was sitting there, and Marianne was moving all the way to the other side of the room looking for protection. And I'm looking at the table. I'm like, there's a bunch of empty tables. I'm like, bro, bitch, like COVID. Yeah. Ashura, did yeah. you see did you see him um Marcel get interviewed by Kit today? Uh I haven't seen it. Sabby just meant just mentioned that. I'm gonna I watch it. it. I watched it. Yeah, yeah. I was a little bit late it. to it, but I watched it. Because I was like, okay, all these empty tables. Up, before you before you say anything bad about them, they were not how you perceive them. Because Marcel spoke on that, and he's and what you're saying, he what he was saying about them was that most of them were telling him, say, yeah, you're making a lot of sense, you know, we're with you or whatever. I just suggest go watch the interview first because, because it seems they, like they, they were protecting. You no, know, it's, it's it seems that way, but like I said, watch the interview that Kit gave to him today. Yeah, um, well, on that it, note, yeah, because on that note, I was like, well, why are there so many empty tables? Because there's vaccines well, yes. out there. Because I'm like, why? Why did she have to basically make it like it's in South Carolina? Is he trying to say that everyone has to come in? She wants limited people. Come see. It looks like a lot of those. It looked like kind of like a young crowd. It looked like more. They was more curious about what Marcel was saying. Like, like I was like, oh shit! They felt. I guess they kind of felt like they was getting like taking a class or whatever. Like, oh this. Right, they because just, they, they really did not know. Like, I'm trying to tell you guys, that was the mm-hmm. same guy that was on Bad Faith Podcast on that panel that was the South Carolina um, organizer for Marianne. That's the same gentleman. And that's why I was like, no, they oh, did not know. Wait a minute. Oh. That's the same guy. If you go back and watch the video, why no, he looks towards Marcel? That's no, no, it, it clicked guy. now. It clicked now. Okay. Yeah, like he really did not know, and that's what I'm saying. Like, come on, this is supposed to be the campaign team, and they don't have their their information straight. Like, I'm not expecting people to be reparations experts. I'm not a reparations expert. However, I have watched and I've read 
information from reparations experts and that's how I know the information that I know and that's why I'm trying to explain to people that like remember in 2020 that was her number one issue and I have noticed from the interviews that I have seen she not really pushing that and that's why I told her like when we went interviewed her me and Nick interviewed her I said is that going to be your number one issue again this time around she never answered that part of the question well, that's why I told you, Sabi, I didn't, when you did that um, call in immediately after, after, I think it was the day that she came on, on, on the show, I said, I, I, I didn't trust Marianne. I mean, I didn't trust her. Like, you, I just you, didn't take, it, take her seriously. Yeah, $1 trillion, that, that's the amount you're going to give black people. $1 trillion. I, I can't take anybody seriously um, who runs um, for president in the Democratic okay. Well, well, she basically, uh, she shot her foot. She shot her foot. It's over. Even if she comes right. back in 2028, it's over too. They won't, black people will not, will, will remember this. Anyways, I'm, and I'm ending the call. Um, so. I wonder though, do you guys think that like, for again, like for the people who are team Marianne, are they even going to talk about this tomorrow? Did they, t- they didn't talk about it today. Are they going to even cover this? Are they even going to mention it? Like, and what are they going to say? Like, oh, Marianne Williamson called this guy anti-Semitic. Are they going to do like Kyle did? Like to, I forget who said it, but the other call was point and not even show that fucking article so that people can see what was said about Marianne. Are they even going to acknowledge that video? A lot of people go look on Twitter and see how many people have seen that video. Mm. Um. Also, the, that the, the person, you know, not not trying to uh, jump on the person who who was in the, uh, the chat during the show, but when they was making a suggestion, or she, I don't know who it was, was saying, um, "Hey, how about tying reparations to universal basic income and so on and so forth?" You know, I was thinking the same. Th- <laughs> I think probably every black person thought the same thing. Like, why is it when there is something that is specific for us, we got to tie with somebody else? No other group is expected is asked to do that. Okay, so that has to stop. But but Roger, that's the indication that they perceive the descendants of slaves as the rock bottom. It's understood. So when you propose giving something to the people who are dirt, then everybody is saying, well, if you're going to get him something. And I keep saying to people, this is not about giving. This is about a debt that's owed. That's why I had such an issue with the whole issue about um, student tuition relief, student debt relief, because I'm saying, hold on. Mm-hmm. Reparations was owed before student debt was even a thing. Mm-hmm. But now you've jumped to the head of the line and you're talking about relief. And let's be clear. The only reason relief from student debt is an issue is because people who get these educations and things are strapped with debt and can't just climb up into the stratosphere, which is what they think they should be able to do. But you being saddled with debt is no different from the descendants of slaves being straddled with poverty. So why can't we deal with this issue since we've been in line since the beginning of time? And the student loan debt is at least personal debt that you or somebody signed for Mm -hmm. the the whole issue. You know, so it's like, 
Why can we talk about this? And I want to be very clear about that, too, because it does not help our case when you do have people who are black politicians like Ayanna Presley to appear on CNN and to make the statement that canceling student loan debt will close the racial wealth gap. That is false. False. Yeah, because most of us are not even in uh, college there. Exactly. <laughs> That's what people need to understand. If I go back and I visit like my extended family members, like in Baltimore, they're not in college. Mm-hmm. They're working mm-hmm. their ass off. Ain't nobody in the community. None of them are doing that shit. Mm-hmm. They're they're working because they had to get a job. But that's the <laughs> way know, to like... make black people the mules for this student loan thing, student loan um, forgiveness. If you can make a black face that everybody knows is deprived to be the face of it, and you allow people to misconstrue it as a type of reparation, then you pass the program. The major benefit goes to the people who hold the most debt, including white people who have gone to post um, undergraduate schools and these things. And then you say, oh, that was reparations. It closed the wealth gap. Why these black folks keep talking about reparations? And I'm like, don't play those tricks with us. Yeah. Think about this also. Suppose everyone in the room has $10. And you got one dollar. UBI would be like, "Hey, I'm going to make things equal and give everyone in the room ten dollars." So what is that? Where does that leave the person who has one dollar? I leave them with eleven dollars, and everyone else got twenty. Right. Well, we're going to have a panel this Sunday. Um, at least the start of the show. Case study QB is going to be there. Colin from Indie News Network is going to be there, and um, Amani uh, Oakley is also going to be there. Uh, That's going to be the student debt panel. And so you're going to hear from all of us about student debt, why we have, we owe what we owe and all on all that jazz. Like Amani Oakley has been paying very close attention to this. I don't know if you guys follow her on Twitter or not, but she made a video explaining to people when she called the student loan services people, they told her that first of all, that debt forgiveness, if it does go through, it's going to go to interest first. Mm. So for all these people sitting back saying, yay, all my loans are going to be paid off. No, no, no. She has the call recorded where they tell her that money is going to interest first. So if you have, let's say $10,000 of your student loan debt left, or let's say 15,000, but you have uh, $10,000 interest, then guess what? If you qualified for the $10,000 relief, that's just going to the interest. Go ahead, uh, Frank. You just have to unmute. Let's bring you in this conversation and see your take on this as well. It's just, this is just, it's crazy to me. It's just like, they don't want to give the people anything. Go ahead, Frank. Okay. Hi. Um, I, I, I just wanted to, uh, 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 comment on on uh, Marianne's psych- psychological makeup, and it really seemed like a very narcissistic act of her to to do what she did. But a, a black man is talking about reparations, and she diverts the the attention back to her. And 
that, that just really struck me as, you know, being, a, you know, self-absorbed and narcissist. And that's not something of a leader that we need because we've, that's what we've had. And, you know, if she's not going to listen, then, you know, why, why should we be voting for her if she's not going to listen to anybody? So, you know, that's a good point that you bring up that she did try to make it about her. Yeah. It's kind of selfish in a sense. I mean, I mean, it's just like, again, like he's sitting up there and he's telling her about his family and about his lineage. That is something I will give to Marcel. Like he was able to do that. Like a lot of African-Americans have not been able to trace our lineage back. I don't know, you know, my family members past my great grandparents. You never did the thing, Sammy? What, the uh, DNA test or? Yeah, yeah, and, and not just that, but look up, um, you know, I, I mean, I know it takes like time to do, but like look up records and stuff. I, I, I tried with the records. It's hard because my family moved around. So like my dad's side of the family originally grew up in North Carolina. My mom's side of the family originally grew up in uh, South Carolina, but they don't all have the same last names. And then it's just, it's just really, it's really difficult. Like, I'm, I'm not even kidding. And then they ended up in Baltimore, both sides of the family. So anything past my, my great grandparents, I have not been able to find records wise. What's that? 1890s? Great grandparents, past the great grandparents. Yeah. 1890s. Girl, maybe you need to call Skip Gates. Well, you know what? I d- <laughs> Maybe I need to call the guy who uh, hosts that show, Catfish, since he can find people. <laughs> yeah, you should make it a family thing. You should, you know, get your get your sisters involved. Make it a family family outing group project, family bonding thing of some sort. Yeah, my parents weren't down for it. By the way, I just want to be. No, no, I met your sisters. My sister. Yeah. Oh, I- I- I could ask. I could ask. Oh, you got one? I thought you had like a bunch of sisters. No. What are you trying to make me? I have <laughs> I have one sister. I have one brother. What? Okay. Get your siblings involved. You know, a part of what makes um, some of that lineage stuff difficult too is you began to discover how much illegitimacy was going on you know, back in the day, so-and-so's father was not really their father and so-and-so's mother had three kids by so-and-so and that stuff comes up and people are not sometimes able to process that. And well, so, yeah, you know, it's one of those things that that can complicate a search. But the other thing I wanted to say in terms of this whole thing about reparations is in as much as reparations as a construct is such a prickly issue, I never understood why Marianne Williamson felt a need to attach a number to it, knowing that that's going to be controversial. Just say um, the descendants of slaves are owed reparations. We will get teams and panels of experts to come up with what that actuarial you know, computation would be. But when you come out and throw a number out, 
that make that invites a different level of discourse because the people who know better are saying, where you get that number from? That makes no sense. This and that and a third. So my thing is, I'm just saying, why not make the fundamental argument for reparations as a concept? Just leave the number out and say, you know, one of my platforms is repair for the descendants of slaves. And there will be experts who can do that actuarial work to determine what the amount is. But we just need to all agree that reparations are indeed a debt that this nation owes that group of people. And let that be that. And lead people to this better understanding. But we also know, just like Bernie kind of put out, that if you're running for president in a nation that is inherently white supremacist, you're going to have to lean into that on some level or you're going to have a Trump or somebody who comes on the other side like a DeSantis who can push all the racial buttons and get all those votes. Right. But the thing is, is like, you know, she said that she actually met with the Autos group like Marianne didn't start working on reparations for her 2020 campaign. This goes all the way back to the 1990s when she started studying it and researching reparations. You guys will have to watch. Uh, maybe I'll put it in the chat. You guys will have to watch that very first interview I did with her, which is solely about reparations. It was a 20, maybe 30, 25 minute interview solely about reparations where she explains like she sat down and met with Ados and she said that's where she got the number from. But the Audos group, if you actually follow them on Twitter or any of the social media, even if like a vet Carnell, there's that is not the number that they're saying. So I'm very confused. It is not the number. And originally her number was something like 50 billion. And so I guess after meeting with the ADOS people, she upped it to one trillion, but it's still far below what some of the leading people who've done the research like Dr. Darity are suggesting. So my thing again is, why are you making this so complicated by trying to put the numbers out right out front? You know, knowing that that is going to be a lightning rod issue. So just just argue for repair. Because just to play devil's advocate here, if she didn't put the numbers out front, then people would say, Why doesn't she have the numbers listed? And she can say, because we need experts to work on that, because there's a lot of controversy about what should and should not be included and what have you. But we do know that something is old and we need to start working on that right away. Oh, Sabrina, going back to uh, what you were saying about um, the like students, only the only like the students that come from wealthy um, families come here. I've seen that. Uh, firsthand, like there are certain um, apartments that are in uh, a lot of a lot of like neighborhoods or whatever the case is, and these apartments are like I don't know, like three thousand dollars a month, four thousand dollars a month, or whatever the case is. And a lot of times when I pick them up, I'm like, these are kids. How do you, they how are they affording this? You know, and a lot of them are from uh, a lot of them are from uh, Asia. They tell me that oh no, we're we're just here on uh, going to school or whatever the case is. You know, our parents are paying for it from, you know, back home. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Yeah. They already have the money. I, I want to bring Frank. I want to bring you oh, back. Sorry about that. Yeah. Uh, and I did want to make a comment on, on uh, 
Noel was talking about um, the class, you know, structures and and um, that that they do the uh, those how how did becoming a you know a doctor or a lawyer or an architect and um, those those are all controlled by corporations and it's actually not the government. The government actually just does what the corporations t- say. Like the American Bankers Association, the, the Bar Association, those are and those are all corporations. The American Institute of Architects, and I know the American Institute of Architects cheats on their exams, so they do protect existing businesses from competition. So that that we um, the number of black people has actually been that have had those licenses overall has been going down. There are some that have been tiny up, but. Uh, mm-hmm. Doctors have been flat since 1978 at 3.8%. It hasn't budged up or down, and I don't know the exact reasons for it, but uh, it's it's not none of them can be good. Um, and uh, I know that um, attorneys, uh, women attorney, women black attorneys is going slightly up, while uh, black um, black male attorneys is going down. Um, ninety-eight percent of the bankers in this country are white men. Yeah. Um, of the licenses uh, here in Colorado, it's a hundred percent are white men, and um, and that that numbers those numbers nationwide are actually going up. Um, they're getting fewer fewer uh, black banks and women-owned banks and and um, Latino-owned banks and um, even Asian-owned banks. So it's it's you know it, they're it's. Well, bankers, it's a Pac-Man. It's, it's, they just put up higher and higher walls um, to protect themselves from competition. So it, that's that's been the real the class divide, and that is the base of the Democratic Party to to maintain that those protections for that that PMC group, uh, the licensure group. So that that's what I run into uh, here in Colorado, and, and it's. Um, and it's a, it's a nationwide thing, but we have laws against it here in Colorado, and they break them all. <laughs> I even, I go right up to their faces and 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 you know tell them to just stop doing what they're doing, and, and um, they they just will. The Democrats actually run away from me. Republicans engage in engage a conversation with me for a for a couple minutes, and they figure out, uh oh, he really does know what he's talking about. <laughs> And then they run away. <laughs> have you, have you not, run into? Have you ever run into David Sirota? Uh, his wife a few times, yes. Not David. Um, I have asked his wife why she doesn't follow her her legally demanded duties on on the corporate regulatory oversight over those licenses and, and regulate regulatory oversight because she has what's called a sunset review law that she has to do. It says she must do it. And I asked her that in a town hall, and, and her response was was awful. She said, "Oh no, we do. We we follow the we rec- the, the recommendations, and actually the recommendations aren't the law, <laughs> but that's what they tell them to do and tell tell them to say. So she she does that, but she won't follow the law. And that and there's a twenty set criteria that she has to ask, ask and answer, and um, you know." You know, from anything from what's the public safety value and um, what's the uh, um, uh, 
one was it's now been changed to inclusivity and diversity. It used to be set, used to be encourage affirmative action. They just switched that last year. Um, mm-hmm. it, but, uh, they, they won't, they won't say those words. They not, they're demanded to say them in hearings and, and they won't do it. Um, and they're supposed, and the, the governor's uh, department of regulatory agencies is, is, uh, supposed to put out a report according to those criteria. And I've actually, I got them to the point where they're now, um, actually taking the law and putting it into the into the report, but there's nothing around that sentence that is in the of the law um, that refers back to the law. It's just there floating, and, and it doesn't make any sense. It's there to fool people that aren't re- reading it uh, intently. Um, but uh, it's yeah, that, that's that's. I think that's the, the to me that's the really the biggest battleground. I'm, oh, as you know, working class, we're you know, I don't think we you know, the, I, I see the, um, the the profession the professional licensing class as the moat around and a uh, moat around the the super wealthy um, to pro- to protect them, and they will allow them to be as lawless as they want to be, so that you know, in those licenses restrict. Um, the supply of possible ownership and they, they actually are embedding, uh, capitalism too. Um, I don't think we can, I don't think we can get rid of, uh, capitalism without getting rid of the way the licensing games are today. Um, it, there's really no regulation. There's no public safety. Um, there's lawless as they want to be. And I, you know, I brought up with, uh, um, the paramedics, the, the even paramedics are as law. They, they, none of the paramedics that, um, there's just the two that uh, uh, that were killed, Elijah McClain. Um, right. There were four other. That. There were four other. Yeah, four other deaths that I know of. Not a single one got anything. <laughs> Nothing. Can I just, Frank? Can I just say, guys? I, I hope you're listening because Frank just said PLC, the professional license class. So I guess we've gone from PMC to PLC. <laughs> I'm going to pass that on to Nick and tell Nick you said that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, Nick, listen, last night there's a new acronym. It's called PLC. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So this is, this is around getting any type of license? For Pretty MC? much, yeah. That's yeah, a subset of the PMC. That's a further yeah. delineation of the PMC. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, so let me ask you, is this like, for, for uh, local licenses or like state licenses yes. to do both and federal. Yeah. To do yep. like contract work and stuff or. Yes. That, that's how the contracts through the straight state and federal, I mean, even federal where there, where there isn't a license, like an architect's license. Um, they say, well, you got to have a state architect's license um, because they say, and I've heard this from every agency Every federal agency, we are on the state land, so therefore you, we follow, have to follow the state law. Like, what the hell? <laughs> no. I just want to say I it's, made the mistake of looking at the chat, and I probably shouldn't do that again. <laughs> Someone just said a licensed plumber. Someone said ADOS is a cult. <laughs> I'm not looking at the chat. Now. Yeah, that's they got some issues. <laughs> Ados does got some issues. Oh man! Yeah. Aye, aye, aye. You 
Well, Frank, <laughs> thank you so much. I, I want to get to uh, Gator as well, but go ahead, Noel. Yeah. I'll, okay. I'll send you an email tonight on uh, uh, the Attorney General's actually charging me four thousand nine hundred and twenty dollars for the for the uh, waiver of law to allow in the ketamine to be injected into into um, Elijah McLean. The doctor that held that um, had it. They were given a waiver of law so that the the doctor could tell the paramedics that it was okay to use ketamine. Jesus and Christ! They're coming. So he. They're coming after I actually have. Oh, they've been going after me for a decade. Yeah. <laughs> Are you a reporter or something? Uh, um, I need to be. I need to get on my blog and write about this stuff. But uh, I've been I've been filing lawsuits against them and spending my time on that. So he was trying um, to be on the DL there, Roger. Oh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> All right, Frank. Thank you so much for calling in. Okay. All right. Thanks. Okay. Wow. All righty. Let's go ahead and bring in Gator. Gator, you are on the mic. You just have to unmute. Hi, uh, how you doing? Greetings. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I didn't get in until about an hour into the show, so forgive me if, if what I'm about to sort of posit has already been covered. Um, it's a, sort of a, a scenario um, based around California's example of what they're talking about policy-wise and reparation and what that might possibly mean. So a while ago, about several weeks ago, I called in and I asked the panel what they thought should be the source of reparations and everyone on the panel said public funds. And I pointed out that by doing that, you open a pathway for your political opposition to essentially stir dissent amongst all the citizens who wouldn't receive reparations because they would go essentially if I had nothing to do with slavery, I've never benefited from it, uh, I, or maybe I didn't even live in this country at the time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, why am I picking up a tax bill? And well, since then, I've heard... Let me just, just interrupt right there, because this was something that Marcel addressed to Marianne Williamson at yeah. that meeting in South Carolina. Reparations does not come from tax dollars. It comes directly from the federal government. So I just, I just want to I want to say that because I don't want people to assume to think that it's going to come from their tax dollars. That's not how rep how reparations works. Right. But if you have to then essentially if the if the if the national debt of the United States increases, no matter what the source of that money was, because it's essentially had to print it. How is that not ultimately the equivalent of tax dollars? No, it's 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 not because the thing is, first of all, the debt ceiling is a myth. Modern monetary theory teaches us that. Like, that's not even a thing. And, right, nobody, okay. and nobody cares about this debt ceiling when they're ceiling, sending uh, billions of dollars to Ukraine, by the way. Yeah, okay, okay. So so that brings me then to California. So roughly, the, some of the extremist case of California's calculation is pitching a number around $800 billion for residents uh, to be paid in reparations. That's some of the top end of the figures, right? Now... If you go down that road and you end up paying out that sum, just imagine what kind of consequences that can have narratively and perceptively before it actually takes effect. So California is not a model for national reparations. I, I do want to be very clear about that 
that was something that they were trying to accomplish for people in San Francisco. That was the San Francisco uh, region that wanted to do that. But what they were trying to do is in reference to what happened to black people in the San Francisco area. So every local action for reparations is going to be different. Evanston, Illinois has a completely different plan for reparations when you compare it to what San Francisco, California had. And by the way, the NAACP chapter of San Francisco shut down the cash payments for American descendants of slavery in San Francisco. So I don't even know if that's even a starter. Okay. But, but so the, wait, lo wait. the local the local plans for reparations are not what you should look to for a national plan for reparations. So I want to be very clear because Camilla did explain this very well when she came on to talk about the California Reparations Task Force. Cool. Okay. So, but what I'm getting at is primarily about narrative and perception and the consequence of what that does to people potentially with in the hands of um, people who are capable of manipulating both of them. And that can happen at the federal level. Uh, and I'll point that in a secondary. It can happen at the local level, like at the state level, I guess, right? Imagine that you just talk about California and you say that for whatever reason, it comes out at 800 billion and that's what they pay out, right? As uh, irrespective of what you just said, because I need to contain it in a, in, a, in, a, in a box. And as a result of that, the next year, the state says that the reality, the economic reality in this state now is that because of the payments of reparations and because of the, the, the state's books, there is going to be the significant withdrawal of various forms of service or whatever taxes pay for, right? Whatever our state can afford has suddenly been massively rescinded. And at that point, what happens to society? Now, the narrative of we can't afford stuff because we just paid out $800 billion is one thing, and the perception is another, and they meet somewhere. Now, okay, if you want to believe in MMT, and if you want to ignore what the current economic narrative is at the, at the Western world level, which is essentially we're all fucked, right? Then it, it's already having the perception of money and the rescinding of service and state um uh what's the word um this what the state the social contract for a better way of putting it is already being rescinded and has been for a long time and so you know whether that's muni bonds collapsing or whether that's people basically being told your state pension is going to be worthless or it doesn't even exist anymore because we can't afford it into the future that changes people's behavior an example of this is what's happening in France now, which isn't just about the raising of the forced raising of re retirement ages from 62 to 64. It isn't just about that. That's the last straw uh, on top of a lot of sense that the French have been screwed over by the government for decades. And it's just the last thing that's breaking the camel's back, leading to open millions of people in the street now burning stuff. Right. And that's only going to get worse. So. The question is about whether or not the way in which reparations get paid and the sums get used in narrative and perceptive manipulation, because you can end up in a situation 
where the money gets paid out, whatever model you use, and then once it's paid out, the narrative becomes that is the reason why we are reducing everyone's ability to get anything from the state or it is it is going to result in tax raises. Let's just make it simple no, like it, this. No, right? that's, that's, that's not how... One, one second, Roger. I think we need to be very clear. Reparations has already been paid out from the U.S. government to people in the U.S. They paid reparations to Japanese Americans that were a part of the Japanese internment camps. And that actually happened under President Ronald Reagan, a Republican president. So they've already done this before. And by the way, those social programs did not collapse because of it. So this what, is already kind of been done in this country. So the, the thing is, if they can do that for Japanese Americans, they can do that for descendants of slavery in this country as well. That is a cop-out, that's an excuse, and I don't buy that. I'm sorry. Go, go. Yeah, okay, but hang on. That was $20,000 per person in 1988. Well, let me let you, let me let, make something very clear to you. The proposal that Marianne Williamson has right now, which is only $1 trillion, which actually that goes back to before 1983. 1983, they said that the estimated amount should be $1.74 trillion. So her amount that she's proposing is actually less than what was required in 1983. So this is 2023. The actual amount, when you do the math, according to Dr. Sandy Darity, should be between anywhere between like 10 to 14 trillion. Marcel was saying tonight when he had that discussion with her, it should be 70 trillion. The thing is, is this, they have done this before. This is not something that is going to be a tax issue. This has nothing to do with taxes. That is honestly, that's a political talking point. Democrats and Republicans both do it. They try to say, oh, it's going to affect taxes, it's going to affect social programs. No, it's not. We have a defense budget in this country that is over $800 billion. If they can give billions of dollars to Ukraine every fucking two weeks, they can pay out this money to descendants of slavery to give them fucking reparations. Okay. There's, no, there's no excuse for it at this point anymore. Okay, but the way, but what you're... That may, okay, so just quickly, using an inflation calculator, $20,000 in 1988 is 50860 now, right? So it's actually not, it's still not that, not a huge, it's not as big an increase as I thought, right? But anyway, what I'm pointing out is not about the monetary reality. It's about the manipulation of people's perception through narrative, which pitches them, has the potential to pitch them against each other. Right? Nobody but was thinking here's, about here's that. Here's the thing, Gator. Nobody was thinking about that when that money was given to Japanese Americans. People only think about that when you talk about giving money to um, uh, uh, descendants of slavery in this country. That's the only time when it's a problem. You can give money to any other group. The moment you talk about giving money to descendants of slavery, that's when it's an issue. So I don't even care about the narrative or the perception or how people perceive it. Because when that money was given to Japanese Americans, people kept their lips, their lips shut and they let the money go out and they got direct cash payment. Also, uh, Gator, um, this again, this doesn't have anything to do with taxes because um, 
the federal government doesn't pay for anything with federal taxes. That's what the state and municipalities do. Okay. Federal government, Congress is a currency issuer. They don't even need the uh, the Federal Reserve Bank to do it because they was doing it before the Federal Reserve Act of 1913. Okay. They legislate new money into existence. You notice no one's taxes were raised and no, and there was no, um, there, there was no new tax created to consistently finance the Pentagon or Ukraine or tax cuts for the rich or bail out the banks. None of that. Nobody's taxes was raised or, 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 or for the war in Iraq. Okay. They use that as a way to say, we can't do it because, oh, your taxes. Okay. Has, when it comes to the federal government, they are, when it comes to Congress, they are currency issuers. They legislate new money into existence. They do it all the time, every day, all the time. Now, also, um, like I said, you could also, um, um, dealing with like the Federal Reserve, I would say, you know, I always said get rid of it and just replace it with the, with the National Infrastructure Bank. Because uh, these, these banks, the public banks create surpluses in economies. They did it before when we had we had four, yeah, you know, we had four national public banks before, but they all had sunset. They all put sunset clauses on them, okay. And every time they came into being, it always was a boom to the economy, okay. The first, you, the first uh, bank of the United States to, for, to you know, for, to fund the Revolutionary War. The second one to fight them again in the War of eighteen twelve. The third one to win this, that Abraham Lincoln did for the Civil War uh, is the Greenbacks, Greenback Bank. And then uh, Herbert Hoover did the uh, the Reconstruction Finance Corporation. And then when FDR took over, he used it to help win the war and. World War II and all that stuff and have all these infrastructure projects that puts, creates the surplus needed. Okay. So it's, it's not, it's, it's not going to be a collapse of society. It's not going to be, I understand what you're saying. You're talking about, you know, uh, how, how it can be twisted and the perspective and so on and so forth. Look, we've always had, you know, there's always going to be a fight. Okay. There's always going to be something. Okay. So we we've always been fighting. We've been fighting ever since we got in this country. No matter how no matter how you put it, no matter how you do this, you do that, they're always gonna come up with, with some excuse not to do anything. You know what I'm saying? So I understand how you know how you was playing, you know, like devil's advocate. You weren't necessarily agreeing. You was just with with with, with that narrative, you was just saying, Well, it can be used like this, it can be used like that. But like I said, this is it's always gonna be something. You know what I mean? But society's not going to, if, if society collapses, it's probably because the, the, because China is making deals to get off the petrol dollar and all that different well, type of Well, stuff. okay. But that is, that is part of, that is part of where this goes, right? Because okay. we're, we're at an inflection point where de-dollarization is accelerating. And one of the reasons crudely put why American can essentially say our debt ceiling doesn't matter is because you're the basically the world's reserve currency, but that is ending, right? So within the next five years, whatever the US economy is, there's a chance that the dollar is not the reserve currency anymore because we're being driven into that point and Western economies are failing with it. Or, you know, the, the pound, the euro, those continents, that continent is destroying itself, partly accelerated by factors to do with that are coming out or, or, or manifesting partially 
in what's going on uh, through Ukraine, not necessarily in it. And so my question is really around the idea that it's possible that either at the point that reparations are attempting to be finally paid, people who resist it create a narrative that basically puts a, puts a perceptive block on, on the people who are not receiving it becoming hyper-resistant to the idea. But, but you can hear the thing, Gator. Financial the bottom line the Gator, is... And I'll, and I'll pass to you, Noel. You can say the same thing, Gator, about the people who got the stimulus checks in this country and the people who did not. And that was means-tested. So there were multiple... There were several people in this country during the pandemic that did not get those stimulus checks because it was means tested. You could say that same thing. There were also people during that time that were like, that's not fair. I don't get one. Yeah. People said that. Oh, well, the checks still went out. So like, honestly, as, as, as like an African-American for everything that we've gone through in this country, I'm not really sitting back trying to think about how other people are going to feel about a freaking narrative. What I'm thinking about is what is owed to black people, those who are descendants of slavery in this country that we have not received. And yet we have sat here and we have watched other groups get what they are owed. Rather, that money came from Germany, rather that money came from France, but the United States government, even under the Obama administration, facilitated it to give them more money. So this is a continuing thing, and they continue to look over descendants of slavery. That is the problem. So the whole narrative thing, like, you can miss me with all of that. Because people can say the same thing about these other social programs that we have in this country. What about me? What about me? Alaska has a universal basic income. They've had it for years. I don't hear other states saying, what about us? Like, that's the thing. Like, I, I don't have time for that. I really don't. It seems like to me, it's only a problem when that money is supposed to go to descendants of slavery. When it's everybody else, no one has a problem with it. Go ahead, Noel. What I was going to say is, you know, with Gator, this is about the philosophical argument. And the bottom line is, there was a crime against humanity that created harm against a specific segment of the U.S. population that has never been repaid. So that is a debt that is owed. And so the bottom line is, if you rob me, you can't come into court and say, oh, but if I have to pay you back what I owe you plus interest, then I'm going bankrupt. The bottom line is, this is an issue of debt. And so there will always be arguments that people can frame and make and spin it in any kind of way to make it seem like it is something illegitimate and fan the flames of racism and white supremacy as they always do. That goes with the territory. But the reality is every American who has come to this country post-slavery has benefited in some form or fashion from, from the free labor and the discounted labor that was paid through Jim Crow through the centuries. So there is no argument that, oh, I wasn't here. My people didn't get here to 1950. Yeah. Well, guess mm -hmm. what? 
foundation and the infrastructure was laid way before 1955. And it did not get laid without brutal labor. So there is a debt that is owed for that. And you can spin any kind of narrative around the payment you want to. But an honest and honorable person will say, yes, that debt is owed. The Germans could have argued the same thing. Well, if we got to pay the Jews for what we did to them, then we'll never get on our feet. Then this, that, and a third. The bottom line is, let's stick to what the truth is. And that is the narrative that a debt is owed. And and this is not a place that you can come for free opportunity. Every opportunity that every immigrant comes to this country to take advantage of was made possible in part by those who came before. And, you know, like yeah, I mean, said, I don't, as you I'm can miss me with I'm all of this, oh, I didn't, I didn't have to do this, or I got here late, or my people weren't slaveholders, or this and that. Everybody benefited. I'm not I'm not I'm not even debating whether or not reparations should be paid right that's not even remotely factoring into anything I'm saying right but the issue you keep saying is if you pay it it can be spun this way it's going to be spun that way and yeah, the so reason it lands is because there are a lot of people in this country who let's face it they are white supremacists and those but, arguments resonate with them because they don't want to admit that a debt is owed okay but but california is saying what it's saying and and this in this on a state basis and some people are coming up with figures as high as $800 billion, right? I mean, you know, I don't know if that would, is that even remotely feasible in the way that those people. But here's it, right? the thing, Gator. This is the point you never discuss. California didn't just look up and say, oh, in Sacramento, you know, we like black people. Let's give them this. They're saying harms have been done to the residents who resided in San, Fr San Francisco and a debt is oh let's start there once you agree that specific harms have been caused then there is repair that's owed so the argument about what the repair looks like what it would mean to the economy what it would mean if services have to get cut next year that's irrelevant to the fact that we have to agree first that a debt is owed and it's not owed because people like people with brown skin it is owed because there were specific determinative harms yeah but i'm not arguing any of that. Upon i'm not i'm not i'm not i'm not arguing that at all well, what are you arguing i'm not arguing i'm asking a question about say for example in the case of california let's just say worst case scenario on numbers it goes to 800 billion dollars and they choose to pay that right and then essentially the state functioning starts to break down because its books radically don't add up what happens why would you say that bridge at that time wait, wait you a do, minute, do you honestly think they're going to say oh we're going to pay this out in one year and put everything at risk they do it every day you have to factor it out and say over this many years and if things happen you always going to have people who can say well it was because they paid reparations but the reality is you have city planners you have people who do these type of things every day you just factor it in and if you have a budget crisis you deal with it they're always going to blame us I they're mean, always going to blame and that's yeah. just it 
So there's no question to really entertain because we know that if anything happens, they're going to blame it on the reparations. Okay, we get that. But that's to say, that's not to say that it is not owed. So it's really not a legitimate question. We all know that they will blame reparations, the people who don't want it to happen anyway. And you also have to keep in mind, we're only 13% of the population. And honestly, if we're looking at like what people identify as racially, when we talk about descendants of slavery, it's actually less than 13%. So we're, we're not a significant portion of the population. But even if we were a significant portion of the population, who cares? We built the country. That's, this is the problem. We built the country. It is a debt that is owed. Now, the same people, what kills me is some of the same people who want who yell at me and tell me to pay my student loans because it's a debt that's owed are the same people who look at me and tell me we can't get reparations. And then when I say it's a debt that's owed, they're just like, oh, well, it should go to everybody. Get out of here with this shit. Like, like seriously, you I don't have time for it. I don't have time for it today. Yeah, I, 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 Listen, I, 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 I don't uh, disagree with what you're saying. I'm just. I don't have fine. time for the petty yeah, feelings. Yeah, yeah. Right. I don't have time I, for the petty feelings. We dealt with the petty feelings bullshit earlier this week with white journalists who feel like they're entitled for entitled to certain shit just because they're white and they went to an elite school. I'm not. I don't have time for it. I do not. I will not sit here. And allow you to continue to try to make excuses for giving descendants of slavery in this country what they're fucking owed. Are you seriously? Hang on. Are yes, you seriously I am. lumping me yes, in I am. with those people? Because I told you. Why? I told you they gave reparations, cash payments to Japanese Americans who were part of the internment camps under President Ronald Reagan, a fucking Republican. President, seriously, you don't need to shout at me. What was the narrative during that point? Yeah, you, you don't need to shout at me, right? Because what I'm asking you, you only care about is... the narrative. You only care about the narrative when we talk about giving money to descendants of slavery. Look, I'm sorry, but you're completely mis you're completely came, misconstruing what I'm saying. The Japanese Americans, none of y'all motherfuckers had shit to say. You can't. Sabi, you don't need to swear at me or shout at me. Do not tell me how to talk on my fucking platform, Gator. You can take a hike. Period. Uh, you've completely misconstrued everything that I'm trying to explore with you. I didn't misconstrue a damn thing. Last time I checked, I made it very clear to you that they have already paid out reparations, cash payments to Japanese Americans in this fucking country. They have given this money to every fucking group. They gave them something except for when it came well, I to the I haven't even opposed any of this, have I? Who I haven't I'm not I'm not even trying to be to taking a position point. I'm trying to, to ask to you about, about possible economic manifestations of it. What's going to happen with You're just completely misconstruing everything I'm saying. California, I'm talking about reparations on a national level. You come in with this bullshit. And it's not bullshit. It's one. an exploration no, of what does it mean no, no, no. economically in people's perception Why and behavior. I'm so concerned about how this is how the narrative is going to be spun, Gator. 
Why should I fucking care about how other groups are going to feel about paying a debt that's owed to descendants of slavery? Miss me with all of that. Yeah, okay. And, and, and Sabi, if that is your answer, that was what I was curious about. If your answer is as simple as I don't really give a shit what other people think, that's all I was trying to explore. I don't need to, you, I don't think I deserve in trying to understand, okay, if that's your attitude, then that's cool, right? I don't need to, you to shout at me as if I'm some bad person. I'm tr that's ultimately what I'm trying to explore is, you know, in your We've mind. We've already explained it to you multiple to? times, and you've been on here talking for a long damn time. I don't need to explain it to you again. So to me, that says something to me about you. It's not what I, that's because you, you because you choose to misconstrue what I'm saying. Gator, no, no, this is not about a misconstrue. Do not come up here with that bullshit vocabulary with me. I made it very clear to you how it works. Why the narrative should not be our concern. Period. Do not blow that. Throw that shit on us. Don't not, do that. I'm just saying that. Don't that, do that. Don't. But, yeah, but you're screaming at me in a way that I don't think is because deserved. I'm tired of your bullshit, Gator. Do you fucking live here? No. Okay, so shut up. Bye. <sighs> Fuck that shit, man. I'm so tired of that. What about the tax dollars? What about the deficit? What about the narrative? What about how other groups who are not black are going to take it? Fuck that. I'm so tired of trying to be sympathetic to other groups who are not black. And at the end of the day, those groups are never sympathetic to us. Miss me with all of that shit. Go ahead. What about Burton Ernie? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna touch. I'm not white explaining anything or, or even, or even getting in that area. Um, the only thing I wanted to mention was, uh, there's a song out now called Run Me My Reparations by Shoe Gang. And there's actually a music video to it. And if you know um, Rome, he wears a hat called Circle of Bosses. And that is um, a title of uh, Horseshoe Gang's uh, um, album. So there's something for you to check out. It's called Run Me My Reparations. It's up on the, the, the lyrics were supposed to be transcripted on Genius. But for some reason on their uh, lyric site, it says, uh, run me my repetitions. <laughs> so there needs to be some serious education where it concerns uh, reparations. Yeah. Thank you, Phantomos. But, but I mean, check out the not, music video. I'm not trying to be mean. I, I get it. But it's not, it. it's not the first time he's done this. He's done this multiple times. We've explained to him how this works and why it's not our responsibility in reference to how other people will feel. Um, also, I never, I never see anyone throw interference when it comes to other groups getting theirs. You know, I, I, I never see that. That was nothing more than a straw man argument. It's like, well, what about this? What about that? This and that. I'm waiting for you to say, yeah, the debt is owed. Yeah, there were harms done. Yes, this is a justice claim. You know, the, and like I say, if you rob me, you owe me. And, mm -hmm. and what happens to you when you have to pay the debt has nothing to do with the fact that the debt is owed. Even if they never pay it, it's a step forward to say, we got to acknowledge this debt. 
you the aliens but like I I said Noel when I explicitly explained that they've already (laughs) given reparations to Japanese Americans who are part of the Japanese internment camps you know there was no pushback there it wasn't like what about the narrative about how the other groups would feel nobody gave a shit because the money wasn't going to black people you know what's tricky about that too Sabrina when they did that, there was no big, oh, we got to run it before the public. Yeah. We got right. to, they did it and right. they, just they just did, did it. it. But when it comes to us, it's it was, like, oh, we got to take there was it no to the debate. People. There's no debate. Right. There was no like talk shows or whatever the case is. No, they just did it. When they were doing those treaties with the indigenous people, they weren't saying, ooh, let's take it to the nation and see how all these white people feel about this. Yeah, when Barack did. Obama and Biden were putting that 12 million aside, they weren't saying, ooh, let's take it to the people and see how they feel about this. Thanks, Obama. No, no, they, they never do when it comes to other groups. And that's the thing. But when it comes to giving it to... It's like, let's take it to the white reason. people. Yeah, let's make sure they're not alienated. Let's make sure that they feel comfortable and okay with it. Why? And that goes back, that goes to show you that black people in this country are still seen as second class citizens. But see, that's really disingenuous. It's still up under the approval approval of what white of of what white people want. And if they don't sign off on it, then it doesn't happen. But it's really disingenuous because you know that if you take it to this white majority, they're going to say, oh, no. So you're doing that to create cover for not doing it. If they had made a big brouhaha about what they were planning to do for the people in turn during World War II, they, the American people might have squawked about that. But they didn't because they wanted to do it. They knew it was the right thing and they weren't going to run the risk of creating a big hailstorm. But these people make it a public issue so they can say, oh, well, everybody's scre-. that's like Bernie Sanders. Oh, well, I can't put that because I know the people would not vote. For-. You know, you you're doing this in a disingenuous fashion when he was working on that committee to help the State Department have the resources to go help the um survivors of the holocaust get that money he didn't go to the public and be like oh let's talk about let's talk about this but when it comes to us everybody is like oh let's go before the public because they know what the public is gonna say right because we're not the majority and they need the majority approval and the majority are white americans and the other thing too in reference to the france payment like i told you guys we showed this earlier tonight france gave reparations to survivors of the Holocaust, and which they should have. But at the same time, when the hell is France going to pay reparations to people in Haiti? That that show you what they really think about us. Go ahead, uh, Phantomos. I, I saw you mute. You yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I just wanted to pass that on, that song, for people to check out, Run Me My Reparations. And um, I'm just going to let the next person talk. Where, where is it from? It's a uh, Horseshoe Gang. You can just type in Run Me My Reparations. It's a music okay. video um, on YouTube right now. It's also on their uh, new album. Uh, so if you just type in Run Me My Reparations into YouTube, it'll, it'll probably come right up. Okay. All right, I'll have to look at that. Thank you, Phantomos. All right, you have a nice evening. Gator work my damn nerve. What's up? Uh, what's going on, Jasmine? Oh, my God. 
he worked my nerve too. Like, you know, there's something spiritual about. Are you hearing me, by the way? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay, good. Um, there's something spiritual about Black Americans not getting reparations or, or Black Americans. There's. I don't. I know this is a left left group, leftist group. But I want to say, as a spiritual person, I can tell you that there was witchcraft, <laughs> sorry, but there was witchcraft enacted upon black people as a whole for, the, for there to be contempt against black people. Because you can't tell me that everybody else should be able to get reparations, but there are tons of excuses for why black people should be kept under. It's something spiritual. Something has to be physically there or spiritually there that keeps black people under. And I'm telling you, it's witchcraft. The Freemasons that run this country had some witchcraft that they enacted during those times that they keep sacrificing for. Sorry, I know this woo-woo to all of you, especially people who are against Marianne. And here I am with something like this, but it's true. Yeah, Jasmine. Jasmine, I was very sorry. Um, <laughs> I was like, I'm sorry. Like, I don't know, but I mean, it it goes all the way back in history. Um, skin color has always been an issue. You know, it's not skin color. It's 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 using it's using somebody else's labor to build yourself up, to build your society up. To, and 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 to sort of use those people as commodities, use black bodies as commodities, and it's it, it's not it's it's throughout. It's it's like I'm telling you, it's something spiritual. And I I'm not I'm not from here. I live here right now, but I'm not from here. And when I came here, I felt it. I felt the spiritual thing that I'm saying. There's something spiritual why there's all these protests for Black Lives Matter and people are like, they show contempt. Again, like, how can you show contempt against your fellow human being? I'm telling you, it's spiritual. There's it's something hanging over the atmosphere that keeps Black people in contempt in, in the United States of America. In order but you to know... Like the prison, to, the school to prison pipeline, pipeline. is not. A, it's not a. It's not a. Because the 13th Amendment still have prison slavery going on, so it's see, not a, Jasmine, a, mm -hmm. I don't take what you say lightly because there is something fundamentally wicked about saying what you know is a human being is not. And like you say, to enslave human beings that you recognize are human and then enslaving them for years and building out your whole society around that. And like you say, there is a contempt when we say that you need to recognize that we have been injured. And it's the same thing that happens everywhere you go. I just saw a program where they were talking about Australia and the indigenous people there, where they're saying, 
we need to have a voice in how this nation is run, blah, blah, blah. And it echoed that same set of sentiments that I hear in the United States and in Haiti and Jamaica and everywhere else that, you know, there are people of through the diaspora who were enslaved. There was something just inhumane and very wicked and perverse about that. And it is spiritual. And that's why we can't come to terms with where we are today. That's why you can't get this nation that knows fundamentally what happened to say, yes, that was wrong. And yes, we do owe you. There was something very wicked about. It. Yeah, I, I came I got that. I was still in Canada when I, I, I heard um, a very famous English um, preacher and he was talking about certain curses to be broken. And he said, you know, for black Americans, the curse of slavery was never broken. And that's why it carries on today. That's why it carries on even in the prison system. They have to find ways to do it, to, to redo it over and over again. He says the curse of slavery, and when he said the curse of slavery was never broken, it, it clicked it clicked. There's something spiritual. I mean, listen. There's a reason why the, the 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 black Americans who make something of themselves, who are permitted to make something of themselves, are also in the Freemason, but they're in some kind of low separate Freemason that they think that they have the same access to, but they don't have the same access to information because they're separated into specific ones for themselves. So they even they think they're 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 you know sharing everything with the white counterparts, but they don't know that the real secret of Freemasonry is holding people um is pretty much making merchandise of human souls. That's what it is. And and, and, and it has to be broken. The curse has to be broken. Sorry. I know I, I don't want to sound woo woo to all of you who are against Marianne or people like Marianne, but the curse I'm Christian. I'm Christian, a real Christian. The curse has to be broken. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's just that you really have to break the cycle of racial perception in this country. And that is very hard to do because, like I said, like even when we talk about reparations, it's not just about slavery. It goes into Jim Crow and it goes all the way to the 19, it goes to the war on drugs and it goes to all the way to the 1990s to Joe Biden's crime bills. That's how long this has been going on. And it's not until I show people that cartoon, which I've shown on my show multiple times, plenty of you guys have seen it probably at least once or twice, or maybe four or five times. I've shown this cartoon multiple times that that shows the the impossible race the unequal race that's the name of it and it shows you through the years why black people were never on equal footing with white people and i think it's really important what people have to understand is that the teacher the reason why i found out about that video is because the teacher who showed that video was fired for showing that video to her class that's how I even found out that that video, the unequal race, even existed. Because I saw a news article that said this teacher is fired because she showed this video about race to her, her students. And so, but everybody needs to watch that video. 
everyone needs to understand that by the time black people got a chance to even start to run the race, white people already had years of generational wealth. We were way late to the game. And then every time we tried to get ahead, we were stopped by other laws or rules or policies that were put in place. Homestead Act. Tell everybody about that one, Roger. Oh, it's what was given to. Um, <laughs> so here's the here's the trick. Um, when we were released from uh, bondage and we got our freedom, but no money, the uh, after Lincoln was assassinated, um, his I believe was I think Andrew Johnson was a Dixiecrat. Um, but anyway, his vice president became president, who was from the South. He ended up what was supposed to be reparations for, um, uh, uh, you know, free freedmen. Okay. He ended up giving it to uh, former slave owners for their loss. Okay. So that was the Homestead Act. And I believe there was some other like Homestead Acts that, that I don't think that was the only one back then. Now, if you remember, uh, let me see. If you remember, it depends on how old you are here in the chat, whatever the case is. But if you remember that show, Little House on the Prairie, okay, that was based on like the Homestead Act also, okay, where white people got land, former slaveholders got land, and we got nothing. So, you know. I know it's a little bit more deep than that. I just told you what I know about. But here's the real trick and here's the real curse that Jasmine speaks of. You know, after the Civil War, this country had an opportunity to chart a different course. We were coming out of centuries of using people as animals for free labor. But we, this country turned its back in trying to build some type of coalition between the Southern states and the Union. They made that concession. And that's when this country turned its back. And so all of the residual effects of having an enslavement began to metastasize and come forward as um, Jim and Jane Crow. And so throughout every generation, there is a different form of this thing that haunts this country. Because we never broke it. it. And that's how you can know that it's a curse. Because curses happen in cycles. And as soon as you try to get over it, another thing comes in its place. And it has to be broken. Curses happen in cycles. It just it just reoccurs, reoccurs different ways. It reoccurs. Um, it has to be broken. I'm telling you, it's and the pastor. It has to be broken. There has to be something that changes the entire system because capitalism is built off of of of, of slavery. Slavery. Real. The real truth of the matter is, white people and non-black people, not just white people, but other non-black people who are poor, are experiencing. For themselves, the same curse that happened with black people. Because if you go to, like I was telling somebody the other day, if you go to a restaurant and you have to pay, um, somebody has to pay you for the tip and you only get $2 an hour, that's a residual, that's direct 
that came directly from enslavement. When they freed the black people and didn't want to pay them, they had to, they do tips. So it's the same thing. And it, it doesn't happen in other countries because that's not a, 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 a uh, legacy of their country, so they don't have that thing where you don't pay people their real wage. Yeah, it's not but customary. Yeah, it's, really it's not customary to tip in some of the other European countries. But what and I often what I say often in jest, but I mean really, when they emancipated the slaves, it was not about freeing the slaves, but socializing the plantation. So the curse that was visited upon the blacks for free labor just got extended across the entire labor force. Exactly. Exactly. That's, and so it's exactly. like say, and it keeps getting worse. The invention haunts the inventor. And as as um, Whoopi Goldberg said in The Color Purple, the hole you dig for me will be the jail you rot in until you do right by me. That's the curse. And, and the, the fealty of it is that poor white Americans do not realize that the price they pay for the illusion of privilege that they think they hold over the people who descended from slavery is you are sinking further and further into the economic dirt that you dug for us. Since you were so determined that it was good for us, it's been extended to you. And in the 21st century, we are all on a actual plantation. And the worst thing is for with Republicans, I've noticed it, people will fight against their own self-interest if they think that somehow black people would benefit. And Republic, they call it the Southern, the Southern strategy. If they think that somehow Black people would benefit in some from some social program. They will run it as if, you know, um, what do they call it? Um, queens, um, welfare queens. When in fact, it's white people who are more on the welfare system than the black people. But they don't know that they're hurting themselves when they think they're voting for. I'm sorry. No, that's when true. They think, <coughs> sorry, when they think they're voting for the Republicans. And they think they're having something over these, you know, there's a contempt. Contempt is spiritual. And there's a contempt that hangs, hangs in the air over certain communities. You know what? Black, black Americans. And when people feel like they, they want to heist themselves up or make themselves feel above, they will hang with that contempt against black people and don't realize that they're also hurting themselves. If you pay black people in America, in the United States of America right now, it will lift, they will create jobs, they will create businesses, it will benefit white people. It will benefit the economy, it will benefit everyone. I'm telling you, it will benefit everyone because people spend their money and they would be spending their money and, and and putting it in the pockets of other people, so it will benefit everyone. But you are fighting against people, in thinking that they will be above you and they will or climb up to you, and it's not right. Well, the one thing I want to add is that what people have to understand is that black people are the largest consumers in this country, and we're only thirteen percent of the population. And 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 that there's something to be said for that. And I think that like this is why I continue to tell people like stop buying stop buying this shit. 
like multiple times I've seen like activism efforts to encourage like black people to do a blackout where like you just don't purchase shit for like a day <laughs> just one day and people don't even want to do that's easy for me I'm broke <laughs> well Roger that's easy for me too because I, I just don't like to spend I don't like to spend money and and like it just for me it's just like there's just no excuse anymore. Like the country is just so, it's a mess for a lot of people. I totally get that. But what people have to understand, and I just had this conversation with Norm Finkelstein. We just had a debate about this and it'll be aired in June. It's part of a uh, convention that's happening in June, but we just recorded this debate. And I told him, I was like, look, I had serious issues with the comments that you made in one of your interviews where you said white people are just a smidge above black people. And then he goes on to tell me, well, I didn't, well, in the book, I totally understand that. And I wrote that in the book. And I was like, I don't, I, this is not about the book though. This is about what you have said on recent interviews that you have had where you specifically said, which I aired on my show. And they, what was funny, the funny thing was, is like, at the beginning of the debate, they were like, we're going to play this clip first. And they played that clip from my show where I said, oh, my God, Norm, what are you thinking? So that part was really funny. And but I told him I was just like. What you wrote in your book and what you're saying on interviews recently are two different things. You went on to a show where you were talking to a white host and you've done this multiple times where you made this statement that white people are just a smidge above black people. And that is not true and that was my problem and that was what i've related to him and it's 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 a problem it is a fucking problem jb and i talked about this earlier today because people like norm finkelstein they have a lot of the 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 ears of people in left independent media and they're brought on oftentimes and they spew this rhetoric and these videos get a lot of views and it's mainly white people who are watching and they take this information in and they think that it's gold and it's not gold. And that's what pisses me off because I told him, I said, you have this conversation with black people, with white people. But when you talk to black people, you saying something different. When you had that conversation with Brianna Joy Gray, you did not make that same statement that you made when you talked to white people. And I said, and I noticed that I noticed that. So regardless of what you wrote in your book, what you're saying when you go onto white people's shows and left independent media, that is very problematic for you to say that white people are just a smidge above black people because that gives the audience the perception and the majority of the audience is white. Let's be real. I look at my analytics. I know this. The majority of the audience is white and they seriously take that in and think, Oh, we're all on the equal playing field, and we're not. Could I just say one quick thing about? I came to understand that being very liberal, very like very not just colorblind. You know, I was there, okay? but living in the inner city and not understanding why people that were you know black folks and even some poor white folks, but mostly black folks that were had more money than I did in you know in the short term, you know, and I, they were doing better than me. 
how could I understand white privilege means I always had that house in the suburbs to go to when I needed a refuge. And I got money from my mom's house, from my uncle's house, because they bought houses in the 50s and 60s. And then they bought other houses. They had equity. And I got a chunk of that. Black people were it was stolen from them in a lot of different areas, like quote unquote urban renewal when white neighborhoods that were straighter and flatter, easier, that were just as downtrodden, so to quote unquote blighted, and it was black neighborhoods. Then they gave them quote unquote free, you know, free housing, but no equity. The white guy that got screwed in those neighborhoods, which might be even then a minority of them. They could pick, they could dust themselves off, go back into white society and at least reestablish themselves. No, you, you weren't going to re-get equity. That's why they destroyed those neighborhoods specifically was to take away the equity and never let them have it again. That's why those Tulsa's and every place were destroyed. It wasn't a one shot. It was now we'll never let you get equity again. I had to learn all that and Norm Finkelstein don't get it. Thank you so much, Lance. Um, Jasmine, I'm sorry, I had to mute you and it, it uh, booted you when I did that, but I had to mute you just because there was an echo, but okay. yeah. I'll, I'll mute myself when somebody else is talking then. Um, yeah, Norm, Norm uh, Finkelstein, like we had that debate and like it was because like the person who was hosting the convention, they saw my video where I talked about that. And they were like, I would really like to arrange a debate between you and Norm Finkelstein. And what I found, like when we had the debate, like we actually had more in common than I realized. But the problem was when he's going on these interviews, what he's saying on the interviews and what is written in his book are two different things. And I saw him have this conversation with Jared Ball, um, who's a part of Black Power Media. And Jared Ball gave him the same type of criticism. And I'm just like, dude, you can't be going on to these shows where a majority of the audience is is white and you're making those kind of statements, you are giving people the wrong impression. So when I debated him, like I had to lay out, like I laid out like numbers and facts and I was like, black people are 13% of the American population, but we're 40% of the homeless population. So how are you gonna tell me that white people are just a smidge above black people? He was like, well, Sabrina, I know who you are and I watch you and uh, Sabrina, uh, you know, I know you're going to say that it's not equal and you're right, Sabrina, it's not equal. And I wrote about that in my book. You should read my book. And I said, Norm, what you write in your book and what you say on these shows are two different things. And you have a responsibility, even as an author, to keep the story straight. And I noticed that your story changes depending on if you're talking to a black person or you're talking to a white person. And when you talk to white people, you use that type of rhetoric and that shit is not okay. Go ahead, Jasmine, you just have to unmute. That's hilarious. You, you got his accent. He his voice down so. You got his accent down so perfect. Oh my god, that was so funny. Like that. Come on, can't we all just get along? And he, it was funny because during the debate, he was like, 
oftentimes people are like, Sabrina, you know, I know you're going to tell me that uh, it's not equal. And I totally get that, Sabrina. And what I'm saying is that we have this class-based system and then we help everybody. And I know you're going to come back, Sabrina, and you're going to say, well, it doesn't put everybody on equal footing. And I totally get that. And All lives matter, Sabrina. I wrote that in that book, Sabrina. And I was just like, bruh, I was like, what you write, again, what you write in your book and what you say on these interviews are two different things. And what I did not think was fair is that he said that to white people who couldn't push back because they're not black and they don't have a lived experience. And that's what I told him. So that, that shit just cracked me up, man. I don't have time for it, man. I'm sorry. I hope I, I I didn't mean to kill you guys with that impersonation. <laughs> <laughs> the lived experience is extremely important. And I don't know why, but these days I've seen a lot of, you know, the YouTube shorts coming across my feed and a lot of them are right wing. And to my shock and amazement, the amount of flagrant, you know, Candace Owens, people like her are bad for, I'm telling you, People like her, and there's another young lady that I see, another black girl with braids. Like, people like her, like coconuts like her, they give the wrong impression because they it's like they, they, they grew up in a world where, have they never been black? Have they never walked out in the world in their black skin before? Like, do they not encounter the world like other black people? What's a coconut girl? Brown on the outside. Oh, damn. Damn, Jasmine. Well, you know. <laughs> Caribbean people would know. Or, 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 or even, you know. I don't know what to say. I've never heard that before. Roger, have you heard that? Noel, have you heard that? Yeah, I heard I that. But here's I... the thing. I think, you know... In every group of people, there will be opportunists. And they're like, you know, I'm going to exploit this for whatever it, it can do to advance me personally. And if I have to feed into what I know is a incorrect narrative, I'm going to do it because they'll support me, this, that, and a third. And they just do it. They have no conscience. And again, that is that wickedness that Jasmine speaks of. You know, people will say anything as long as they know it will advance their cause. That's like Clarence Thomas. He, he'll get on the Supreme Court. <laughs> he'll vote any kind of way because it advances his personal interest. Now, I do wonder if those people in their wee hours feel any trace of guilt because my thing is you have to know that what you are doing is fundamentally wrong. But at the end of the day, we have to acknowledge that th the real curse here is capitalism because it is nothing more than greed dressed up and formalized with bells and whistles, but it is still greed. And that is never going to yield anything but evil. And so here we are as it becomes predatory, it's just starting to be like right in your face because they have to extract it from everywhere because 
you know, the markets have all been exploited. They shipped all the manufacturing to other nations. And so it's like, okay, where do we extract from? And that's what the war is all about, trying to get access to other markets, to other resources, and it's never going to end. So it has to collapse under its own weight. Um, and I just, and everywhere you look, you know, it's happening. And that's why I questioned the other night, the young man from Germany, because Europe is going to experience it too. It's just, it just doesn't work. We have to evolve to some type of system, some type of socialist system where we begin to realize that we're more alike than we're unalike and we support each other's health, growth and development and this and that. And we don't aggrandize the people who get to the top and we don't create systems that will allow one, two, three percent to hoard all the resources and make everybody else suffer. And we have been brainwashed to believe that that is legitimate and it's not, and it's, it's unsustainable. I've heard, um, the, I've heard the word coconut used more in a derogatory way for, um, you know, for, for people that I never used it. Vagina. No. Oh. People that come from, uh, the Caribbean. That's that's how I've I've heard. I never use kind of like how you say the the initials WB for you know people that come from the Spanish countries. You know whatever the case is, I never used it. You know it was never in my uh, language. Well, what does well, that mean? Someone who's hairy on the outside and white in the no, inside, the, brown on the outside, you know, but it's like Oreo. It's like the Oreo cookie. Oh. Oreo cookie, you but know. the coconuts are a little bit hairy on the outside. No, nobody cares about the hairiness. It's the, it's the brown. Oh. It's you know when you 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 when you hux the coconut, you still have that brown skin on the outside, and it's still white flesh. You know, um. so it's sort of like somebody who is looks brown, but they, in all intents and purposes, behave as if. It doesn't affect them. The, the, the reality of, of being in a brown skin doesn't touch them. And that's nice for them. That's really nice for them. I was, but it's not to sell out other people who are going experiencing hardships because of their brown skin. I've so, heard of Oreo. I understood heard, it as being empty-headed because the inside the coconut is hollow. Oh, Damn. So many different things that can be used for it. Like I've heard of Oreo because they used to call me Oreo when I was in high school because I went to high school in North Carolina and they were like, why do you speak proper English? And I was like, well, damn, what the fuck I'm supposed to talk like? Um, also, with Candace Owens, her like I told you before, um, her future is um, Stacey Dash. Stop. Stop it, Roger. She needs to talk to her. She's trying to come back to the barbecue. Um, Roger! Also, as far as um, uh, uh, Justice Thomas, you remember how he was how he was chosen for the Supreme Court? Yep, I remember. What was it? That whole controversy with Anita Hill. Oh, okay. No, okay. Before that, 
Oh, okay. I don't remember before that. Sorry. He spoke out. Uh, he he was a black man against affirmative action, and George Bush said, "What? Oh, I want to talk to this guy. That coon ass motherfucker. You know what? No. Clarence Thomas to me, like he just seemed like to me like just a very unhappy person, a very unhappy dude who was trying to find a way to fit in with like predominant people in white America." Just miserable. At least Scalia had a sense of humor. Did you exactly, ever exactly, Lance? That's what it seemed like. Like he just seemed like a really miserable person. And you know, you know what, Anita Hill? Like I, I could reach back out. I invited Anita Hill on last year, um, because I really wanted to. Well, I wanted to see like her take on her experience. And also, her to come on to support Tara Reid, and that might have scared her off. Mm. Yeah, she can't be no Biden. Thing. Biden not only like allowed, he ushered in. It was him that was the chairman. He said, "Yeah, Clarence, come in with all your character witnesses." Wouldn't allow any of Anita Hill. We have Biden to thank for Clarence. Yep, because Joe Biden, for people who don't know. Has Joe suffered Biden from let, um, colorism, too. Right, but right. Joe Biden would not let her witnesses testify. And unlike, uh, most, unlike most uh, sexual harassment or sexual assault cases, Anita Hill actually did have evidence. Mm. And it was Joe Biden who was like, nah, your witnesses cannot testify. Right. And I'll never forget that. And you got to understand, guys, like I was a kid when I saw that. But that really resonated with me. She had contemporaneous. You know how they always say, well, look, if you didn't tell any, no, she had plenty, you know, that right away did you tell folks? Well, then they didn't make it up. And she had a lot of it. Lance. This is what um, got me. If that happened, this is why Barack Obama picked um, Joe Biden. He knew well who Joe Biden was, but he knew Joe Biden had been friends with Strom Thurmond. He knew all the history about how he had the role he played in saying, you know, he would never support legislation that made, you know, reparations for what his father did and all this stuff. So he knew that would play well with the core central of white America that he needed to be the first black president. So he picked somebody who was amenable to the other. Am I am I wrong, Noel? Because Delaware was obviously a southern slave state, but isn't it like one of the like whitest states in the country? Yeah. No, nah, there's there's a lot of black people in Delaware. <clears throat> I don't think Delaware was a slave state. No, it was southern. Uh, southern. I don't know. It might have been a border state because there was some that were border states. Right, Missouri. Right. Missouri. Was con- yeah, Kentucky too. I- there, there, there are a lot of black people in, in Delaware, by the way. Because you got to remember that area, Maryland, Virginia, uh, D.C., Delaware, like that area, there's there's a lot of African-Americans in that area. Oh, okay. Yeah, Delmarva. But he doesn't even play to that. He plays from Scranton. I'm Scranton Joe. <laughs> With popcorn or whoever it was, he said he made. No, por- no corn pop. 
Corn yeah, Corn Pop. Pop. I don't even know if Corn Pop was a real person. I think he was. I think they said he like he died some years ago or something. I don't know. With Joe, we don't know. Oh, Jasmine, I'm sorry. Was there anything else you wanted to say? I want to make sure I bring in Mark. So, yes, I want to. I want to say, um, in terms of capitalism being the real monster, yes, it is. Um, eventually, like I said, it will turn against white people, like it, it now is in Europe, where. They're taking young men and teenagers and old men off the streets to fight. Um, they've slaughtered all the men in, <laughs> oh my God, in, in, in Ukraine for United States proxy war, all to break apart Russia, weaken Russia, and to get to be able for United States to be Europe five times the rate. It's all about capitalism and it's destroying people and you're right. Double, double. Anyway, let me let me let me let Marco talk. Thank you so much, Jasmine. Thank, thank you. I hear you too. Capitalism is a big part of the problem. What's going on, Marco? Hey, hey. Um my comment on reparations was taken by Noel. I was just gonna say that Reconstruction was more about equalizing white power than it was about helping anybody who wasn't white. Um, but now I want to talk about this impression, Savvy. Uh, you know how <laughs> you know how uh, Jimmy Dore has Mike McRae call in and have these hilarious conversations. Maybe Jimmy needs to get a call from Norm Finkelstein sometime. Oh boy. I know RBN has mentioned about getting into like sports coverage and comedy, like. If you got Mike McRae on and you could have like conversations between Norm and and uh, Jimmy and Joe Joe Biden or something like that, I don't know it could be fun. That's just so funny. Like the Norm the uh, Norm thing is really it's fresh in my head because that was recent. Um, but yeah, that just cracked that shit cracked me out. I wish you guys like honestly, you guys will see the debate like that part. But I wish you guys could have seen the entire, I honestly wish this would have been live so you could have seen the reactions, his expression and everything, everything. He was like, of course I know Sabrina. I watch Sabrina a lot. And I was like, fuck. No, when I got that invite for the debate, I was like, and they tagged him and they were like, he goes, oh, of course I know Sabrina. I watch Sabrina a lot. And I was like, fuck. And then <laughs> I oh, felt like that was that. Who else is watching? <laughs> I felt like that kid in the Christmas story. And when he said the F word and I was just like, what has he seen? And then apparently he did see that episode where I was criticizing him. And I said, Psh. I said, oh, my God, Norm, no, 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 no. You can't say that white people are just a smidge above black people. What are you talking about? He saw all of that, you guys, all of it. Yeah, that just goes to show how ingrained the thinking is, right? Because as soon as he's, like, talking to white people, his rhetoric changes. It's interesting. He was like, Sabrina, you got to understand. Like, when I was growing up here during that time, you got to understand, like, there was no white people living with black people. 
don't understand where it's coming from. And I was like, Norma, I totally get that. But for you to be like, now everybody's white and black living together. And I was like, especially you living in the Northeast, you know, you should know that is actually not how it is in the Northeast. And I told him, I said, living in the South, it is more common. But coming to the Northeast, the Northeast is very segregated. And you don't see it as much as you think you would outside from the college students. And even then it's still segregated. And so he was like, listen, Sabrina, I know this. I know this, Sabrina. I was, I, I put all this in my book, in my book. Sabrina, I sent you a free copy of my book, of my book. And I was just like, I understand that. But in your interviews, you're not saying that. You're saying other things and you're saying different things to white hosts than you're saying to black hosts. Like when he talked to Bree, he did not bring that up. When he talked to other white hosts, he brought that up and they did not push back on him because they can't, because they don't have the experience. So that was the thing that drove me crazy. He was like, listen, Sabrina, I don't think we're really that far off, Sabrina. I think we're kind of on the same page. Dude. It's that expression, right? Those who are those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. Like like when I learned that the that the right to bear arms came from the mandate to bear arms, I was just shocked. I was like, well, of course it did. I mean, cops are slave catchers, prisons are plantations, inner cities are open air prisons. You know, I mean it's like Yes. This country was started by slavers and it's still a slave country. You know, it's it's not really any different. The only thing that really changes is they just put a coat of paint on it every few years so that people can be fooled into believing it. Exactly. Oh, go ahead, Noel, if you wanted to say something else. Cause... <laughs> and, you know, when you think about it, what really capitalism is, it is that energy to exploit and extract. And it found a useful um, dynamic in terms of skin color that made it the perfect vehicle to organize the society between black and white so that you could distinguish one portion of labor from the other. But the energy to extract is always there and that's why we're on a virtual plantation now. That's why we're having to refight for labor and all of these things, wars that should have been won. And that's why they're talking about the privatizing the post office, privatizing Social Security, you know, because that's that energy to extract. And at this point, since color skin color is not what it used to be is still useful for organizing the society but in terms of the extractive thing it it doesn't play the same role so they just extract out of everybody and you know until we recognize that it really is the mother evil then we're always going to be fighting the symptoms and not the disease cap and that's you know one of my bylines now is capitalism kills and there is no no energy and nothing it incentivizes turns to anything positive. Everywhere it goes, if you go a few decades later after its arrival, you see 
how it has ravaged the location. It's just, it's just not a good way of organizing a society with respect to the distribution of resources. And so, you know, everything we talk about from racism to things in the labor market to, you know, the um, COVID crisis, the wars, everything is coming from that energy to extract and exploit. And that's why we, I think we really have to focus to dismantle it because otherwise we're going to always be in wars. We're going to always be at somebody's throat. We're going to always have pandemics where the um, people who create the drugs are getting rich. And then, you know, it's just one of those things. It's like in Scooby-Doo when they take the mask off Uncle Sam, it's Christopher Columbus. I mean, they named this goddamn country Columbia, right? Washington, D.C., the District of Columbia. This country is named after that horrible man. Exactly. Do they, do they still, like, um, I don't have kids, but for those of you who have kids, are they st still teaching Columbus Discovered American School? I'm curious. Depends on this place, but yeah, there's, that's still popular in some places, yeah. But Indigenous Peoples Day is, is taking off. That's kind of, I can, I can imagine that replacing Columbus Day in our lifetimes. I ask because in Massachusetts, like, it doesn't happen at all. <laughs> In Massachusetts, is, is Indi in Indigenous Peoples Day, and I'm sorry, I have the hiccups. It's um, Indigenous Peoples Day, and if you even say Columbus Day, people look at you kind of weird. Yeah, I think they kind of just try not to teach any history these days. <laughs> <laughs> history began when Donald Trump and Russia stole the presidency from the American people using memes. That's when history started. I gotta tell you, like, I gotta tell you guys, Gator really made me mad because, like, it wasn't the first time. <laughs> He's done this mul multiple times, and I'm like, in every like, room I'm, I'm in with him, Sabrina, he he pisses people off like that. I don't think he realizes that he's annoying people as much as he does. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, people gotta hear it. I mean, I mean, the, okay. Here's the thing. When reparations were paid to white people for the ending of Chattel, or for the reformation of Chattel slavery into penal slavery, what, who were the people who held the position that we shouldn't pay black people? Like, yeah, pay the white people, but don't pay the black people. That was like the Confederate position. So whether or not people realize it now, they're repeating that history of the Confederate position by arguing against the, the, the payment that's owed. That's a good point. And here we are funding Nazis in the Ukraine where they last invaded Russia because so we didn't people, learn from that history because the lessons from the Nazis in US and World War II is that we beat them at their own game and we were better at, the, at imperialism than they were. And because we didn't learn that, now here we are using the Nazis are once again invading Russia. But people still want to take up for Marianne because they just want another progressive candidate to believe in. And by the way, I still haven't heard uh, Marianne refer to herself as a, as a progressive. Am I wrong? Yeah, she always calls herself a Democrat. Right. But you know, when you think about it, 
You know, we just had the 20th year anniversary of the war in Iraq, and we just recently got out of Afghanistan. But when you look, step back and look at it on a broader lens, the one of the only prodigious productive industries in this country is the war machine. And so you have to kind of be in some type of war effort or be funding some type or pushing some type of war effort so that you can sell weapons. Because otherwise, how are you going to justify this big trillion dollar amount over time that we keep, you know, funding to the military industrial complex at some point? You have to expend those things that they build. You have to use them. And so we're constantly looking for an, a way to push war, either by proxy as with um, Ukraine or the wars outright like Iraq and this and that. It's just they have to do it. Because if you don't push war, there is no need for $850 billion budget for military industrial complex. And again, when will this country study war no more? When will we realize that? And that's why China has moved with diplomacy, with Saudi Arabia and Iran and this and that. The world outside of the U.S. is understanding that this is a different game, but the U.S. is still, you know, the supreme hegemon and they're trying to push a unipolar narrative. And it's just not going to work. And my great fear is when it comes to bear fruit that it won't work, we're going to be in some type of collapse. Oh, I mean, a real collapse. And I just think it's going to, that's going to be really, really bad for poor and oppressed people in this country. I agree, Noel, and I think that's why now is the time that we have to be sowing the seeds to reap when that happens, and we need to be the phoenixes that rise from those ashes. And now is the time that we have to prepare for that. Exactly. It's not, not going to be the election of 2024, 28, 32, 36, 40. None of those elections are going to be the one that we win. We, we need to be prepared to like... And you know, Marco, that's why I felt it would have been more... From what we know about electoral politics and how we know that the game is rigged on both sides, it would have been more prodigious for Marianne Williamson and Bernie Sanders and all of these people just to start trying to build that outside movement. Bernie could have retired, start building the party, Marianne the Green Party with Jill Stein, all like-minded people are going to have to come together against this system. And until we see that type of thing, you know, emerging, we just know it's like you say, it's going to be more the same, more the same. You know, I've often said, you know, Joe Biden is no different than Trump. He's just less, you know, carbonated. But in terms of when it comes to the ideological things around the economy, they are cut from the same cloth. You know, the only real difference is, you know, Trump is willing to play those polarizing cards much more deliberately. But that's because he has more of a homogenous base to play it to. And Joe Biden, 
you know, has to, the Democrats have to talk this pluralistic thing because their constituencies are more diverse. But at the end of the day, the working class Americans are still not getting anything out of either party. And it just goes cycle in, cycle out. So uh, until we that and realize that it really is a duopoly, it really is two heads of the same beast, then we can be able to get there. But, you know, we have to kind of come past race to get to that point. And that's why I'm like, I don't know if we're going to be able to win this race against time, especially when you factor in what has what's going on in the natural world. You know, the cycles and the weather patterns are getting more and more serious, more and more severe. Nothing gets being done. We're making all the wrong moves. So between those two dynamics, I think we're going to be caught in something really cataclysmic. And people, at that point, people will have no choice but to rise up, right? Well, well, like what I said, the OK Corral, because everybody got all these guns. And if you have not evolved to understand the role that the system is playing, you're still going to have, you know, People who feel like the immigrants are the problem, people, black people and white people still thinking each other is the problem. And it's and it's just going to be a shootout. And mm-hmm. and when you think about it, the consistency at which we are experiencing these massacres is a sign that something is sick in your society and you need to get to the root cause of it. It's just not an anomaly that's happening. That is a signal that something in your society is sick, but we refuse, you know, to see it and deal with it. Well, you know, I was thinking, Noelle, when you were talking there, like, where is the precedent of an empire being taken over in the imperial core by its own revolutionaries? I mean, as far as I know, it hasn't happened. You know, like Cuba, that was on the edge of the Spanish Empire, or Haiti on the edge of the French. But when when did the revolution of the people actually happen within the country and actually destroy the oligarchic state? Even in Russia, it wasn't really that way because they had kind of collapsed as well, as far as I understand. So, And that's why I kind of think a collapse is really inevitable. But and I just think... we have to prepare for. Yeah, we need to be ready for that. We need to... Now that before the the shit hits the fan is the opportunity to prepare for the harv for to prepare for the for the planting of the new of the new world, right? I mean, you know, I think it's in process just, now. I think it's yeah. I think yeah, it's, it's all in we're in the early stages of it. You know, and yeah. I it really breaks my heart because you know I'm on the edge of being sixty. And so I say, well, by the time this thing really gets into full throttle, I'll probably be gone. But it's just, it's so troubling because it's signs on every hand. I was 66 yesterday. Oh, congratulations. Happy belated. Yeah. I don't like to hear that though. Like I, I want, oh, sorry, not that Lance, not your birthday, but I'm just saying like, I feel like something should be done, should have been done sooner, like before Noel turned 60. And and Marianne's uh, copiisms 
to make her feel better, for her to say that a black man is anti-Semitic because he tried to challenge her on the numbers, I, I just, it make me feel some kind of way, man. It makes me feel some kind of way. And I feel like it's bullshit. If she was any whiter, being up. A who? What, what was the, what was that, um, Lance? I'm an sorry? albino, like Johnny Winter, Edgar Winter. It's someone that doesn't have pigment. They have pink eyes and, you know, no pigment. They're white. I think that's oh. the only right. Oh, that's, oh, you're saying albino. Albino? Yeah. yeah. I was just saying, if Marianne Williams was any more white, she'd be in. Oh, damn. I just think it's sad that she's willing to try and play this kind of game when it is so clear that there will you're not going to meet, move Joe Biden to the left. You, the only thing you can end up doing is being a sheepdog like Bernie Sanders. And if you are planning to do a dirty break, you should just start out on the outside and as Marco suggests, help us build this momentum so that by, you know, 2028, 2032 or whatever, we may be in a position to try and topple this oligarch. Yeah. Could I ask you, Noel, the way? Could I, ask you, could I ask you guys a question just from a strictly political, forgetting about just, just from the pure you know, egotistic, whatever reason she has motive-wise, why would she – so, okay, we know that there's a lot of Bernie to Trump say, uh, voters. You know, Obama to Bernie to, to Trump would never vote for Hillary. We know that that's a very sizable, small, you know, but, you know, we know that. So why does she think that when Bernie – that's where his energy came from. She's going for the PMC suburban, like the base – that's all she's doing because she just senses that Biden's no good. She's going a little bit left, but I don't, I don't, I don't see her going. She's not going for the Biden people. I mean, excuse me. She's not going for the Bernie people. So she just wants to kind of compete on Biden's own turf she, and, and within the Democratic Party. Well, of course, if she's going to do that, she's got to be a Democrat because she'd never make it. I, I don't even see her as anything remotely like a like slightly left at all third party. Most of the things that make any sense that are like whether it's like free speech or whether it's anti-war and all this stuff, the energy's from the right and she's not even matching the... <laughs> The energy right now that's coming from the right, I hate to say it, right, that we all see happening. I don't even remember her saying that she was progressive, though. That's that's a big problem that I'm. Yeah, she's that's the thing she, with the an Biden incumbent crowd. Democrat president. The Democrat machine is not going no matter what she was talking about. That machine is not going to let her get past word go. Right, and and and, and one quick, 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 quick thing. It's not even a bad face thing. When Teddy Kennedy ran against Carter, and you could say he kind of helped, that spat really did destroy the Democratic Party for maybe till now, maybe as part of that same rift almost. Anyway, that's a story for another day. But Teddy Kennedy was like, no, 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 I'm not going to do Carter thing. I'm going to be all this whole different thing. 
He didn't say, yeah, Carter, but, you know, I'll be better at politics and just going for the same crowd. That's just it's just I don't get it just from a from a blatant, just just sheer like like political thing. Why? In other words, why doesn't even she doesn't even fake trying to be an Obama type? She's not even trying to fake it like Obama faked it till he made it. Right. And he faked it all the way through to fool people that he was what something he wasn't. She's not even trying to fool people that she's to the left of Biden, really, on some of this stuff. So I don't even get I don't I don't get where she's going to even get to halfway to first base. I mean, I don't either. You know, I'm even, I'm even to the point where I'm starting to wonder whether or not Jill Stein's campaign was worth it, because even though I voted for her and I love her and Ajamu. Savvy, didn't you tell, I'm sorry, to, I'm sorry to interrupt, Marco, but didn't, didn't no, 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 didn't you say, Savvy, that she would only run at the state level, but I'll bet you if every progressive that likes her, if you drafted her, she, no. would, she, she might run on a national. No, um, she doesn't want to run on the national level anymore when I talk to her, so, um, She's looking more at like like maybe a Congress position. So so I was at a I was at a Green Party event, and uh, one of the things I do is I'm a treasurer for some ballot measures, and they were talking about how every four years the Green Party has about two hundred thousand dollars to pay for the presidential race, uh, which is a pittance compared to what the other presidential candidates spend. But they were talking about how Jill contributed. $800,000 to her 2016 run. So Jill ran a million dollar campaign. And then um, she's on the hook right now for the recalls in those three states that she did. Yeah, because they're doing some really sketchy stuff. And they're actually going after her retirement. So she basically spent um, of her own money and then the people's money that she crowdfunded as well, you know, like a good $1.5 million on that campaign. And it was a good campaign and I'm not and I voted for her, but like at the same time none of our votes for president count what if she had put that 1.5 million into worker co-ops unions mutual aid we would be better off if she did that in 2016 instead of what she put it in does that make well, sense so I'm starting to wonder whether or not a third quote unquote third parties are even worth it um, because it's like we really need to seize the meat build up the means of production we need to Political parties are there for people who have power and then they organize themselves. We need to have the power first before we even start thinking about another Can I just briefly quote Ralph Nader about third parties? He said, look, I had about two or three million people. If you add them all up, 20,000, he said, when he ran in 2000, he said, there's no way they could let me as a third party candidate on that state because they can't run and hide and do the friendly interviews and spin it. They have to confront me, number one. Number two, I reached 15, 20, 30 million people in 45 minutes, which is 10 times what 20 times what I could ever. So the, so the idea of a third party, by the way, that's kind of the way the original Republicans, they were a one issue party called anti-slavery there. And they, they came in quick. A third party also, that was the Jacksonian Democrats. They weren't going anywhere. They didn't say, Oh, well, we didn't topple the Jeffersonian. So both major parties now were technically kind of like third parties. They've been hugely successful. Eugene Debs got 6% of the popular vote, a million votes from prison when they uh, deported everyone. They, they did everything they could and that helped usher in the great worker stuff that forced FDR to do stuff. It's absurd it it, it that third, third parties, wait a minute, third parties that have never been elected nationally have moved this country forward in ways that the two major parties haven't even thought about since they were invented. Nope. Yeah, 
it was it was not the third parties that brought us the union movement. It was the union movement that brought us the socialist party. Socialists, socialists were getting elected. Started, Social after World War One. After wait a minute. After World War One. Wait a minute. After World War One, before they jailed Eugene Debs, socialists and even communists were getting elected on the state and local level. They put Eugene Debs in jail. They they deported all people that were from another country that were the radicals for the very reason that they were getting elected. It was third party candidates getting elected, but not nationally, that forced FDR. No, no, it wasn't the two-party system or FDR. He was forced to it by socialists, like the Farmer Labor Party in the 1890s. Third parties have, and the Progressive Party, Teddy Roosevelt and those guys, that was a third party, the Bull Moose Party. So don't tell me the third parties haven't been hugely successful. It's a canard, and it's ridiculous to suggest, especially now, that we got to stick with the duopoly, that no, no, you can't have third parties. Third parties that never got elected have moved us with the union thing was all about third parties. No, um, I'm sorry, but we lost uh, Marco. Like he just dropped off. Oh, Lance. Um, do you remember this? I remember. Um, I remember Thomas Frank mentioning this on Jimmy Dore some years ago. Um, <laughs> Thomas Frank. But, but, so what he what he said was, um, the. The, the Democrat Party did not support McGovern against, uh, what's his name, against Nixon, okay? And that um, they got Carter, Carter had President Carter, well, he wasn't President Carter at the time, but they got Jimmy Carter to somehow go along with not supporting um, Jim McGovern. And they promised him that if they went along with it, they'll run him as a president, um, you know, four years into the future, 1976. So th does that sound, uh, does that jive or whatever? Does, you know, I'm just going by- About McGovern running in 76? No, 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 no. They said to, they said to Jimmy Carter, help us tank, I'm going by, oh. help us tank McGovern because he's our nominee and we don't want him. This is before the Democrat party had superdelegates which is probably why they came up with super. I wouldn't be surprised because it was Carter was big Brzezinski and was a Kissinger, whoever that came up with the really solidifying the trilateral commission, which was Europe, which was pretty much Germany, uh, Japan and the U S being Brzezinski. That was kind of like the, really some of the beginnings of this brave new world of this new alliance. that was going to cross the usual, uh, well, they were allies, but you know, so the, the, the trilateral commission. So, Carter was kind of a dirty pool, did what he had to do to get there. Just like the true blue Truman plain speaker. He had the Pendergast machine, the mafia in, in Kansas and the, uh, you know, Kansas, you know, in St. Louis that got him into power. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Cause that's, that's, I remember Thomas Frank was mentioning that, but is it, well, is well, it he, he's got the goods usually. So I wouldn't doubt him. Yeah. So is, do you remember? Um, so was it true that the uh, Democrat, cause I mean, what's his name? Uh, McGovern only won, Massachusetts against Nixon in 72. So was it also because the Democrat Party didn't support him? Oh, yeah, they trashed him. Remember, they did that thing with Eagleton because he had uh, like had gone into uh, like whatever it was, nervous breakdown and had mental mental health care. 
and they said, "Oh boy, I don't know." I, I was one years old. That's I was right, just right, right. No, no, they they just destroyed him. They did a Bernie, an early Bernie, a Bernie version. You know, they just they they did things like they broke they broke into the to the guy's psychiatrist office and found out the notes from Eagleton from his vice president, just like sounds like Watergate, Nixon stuff. Only was the Democrats doing it to their own guy. Oh no, they they destroy their own. They they've been destroying their own since forever. They're such cannibals. The Democrats are almost worse than Republicans. But yeah, so. No, they just destroyed them. They just, they did, you know what the Democrats did to, uh, what the Democrats did to, um, what's his name, to uh, McGovern is the same thing that they did to Goldwater. They made him look like a kook, only from the opposite mm. way. That he was just going to give up all the weapons and he was going to make us all peaceful and give us all flowers and make us all, you know, and, and McGovern knew foreign policy. He was not like that. He was going to do just fine with the military industrial complex. They wouldn't have hated him that much. He would have, you know, made it serious, you know, whatever, whatever. But no, he wasn't going to break up, you know, he wasn't that much of a dove, you know what I mean? At all. But, um, because he stayed in the government, you know, you don't stay as a senator for 30 years. You do something else and be a do-gooder like Ralph Nader. So he wasn't that much of an outsider because he stayed in the Senate after uh, after he ran for like another couple of terms. Can I ask you guys a silly question? All right. There's, there's two McGoverns. There's Ray McGovern and Jim McGovern, and I get them confused. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, who is Ray McGovern? I forgot now. Is he not the CIA guy? I'm confused too now. I'm, you guys got me confused. Well, George McGovern was the uh, South Dakota senator who ran for president and got trounced, like he said, like Roger was saying. By oh, my bad. I, I said Jim, but you're right. It's George, right? Yeah, George McGovern was the presidential guy. Right. Yeah. He was a good guy. He really was. He was like Tom Harker from Iowa, kind of, you know, for a senator, you know, for a politician. They are what they are, or, you know, in their career politicians for like several terms. But, you know, for, for, for politicians, they were both good guys, you know. But anyway, um, you know, you guys were talking about one other thing. I just, oh, shoot. If I could have remembered it about. Um, Don't you see a pattern emerging? Anybody who comes along is really capable of doing something significant with respect to change they get turned out from the inside out or the outside in but this you know capitalist juggernaut just moves right yeah it um yeah i see a pattern too too many mcgoverns listen um (laughs) i'm gonna try to see if i can bring on um Robert Kennedy Jr. Do you guys want to hear from him? Um, he's thinking about running for president. Oh, yes. He should make a good candidate for an interview. Okay. I'll, I'll reach out to him. I I wish he would run like for senator because he would probably win. I don't know if he, if he could win president. Great. I'll vote for him in a heartbeat. But Senator of what? Huh? Run for senator of what? Whatever state he's. Is he in New York or Massachusetts? I don't know what state, but. I think he's in New York. I, I don't think he can run for a New York senator because uh, Chuck Schumer just just won. Oh my Roger? God! Let's ask Roger. The problem with RFK is that he's a dedicated Democrat, as far as I can tell. Yeah, I went on his website and it doesn't say, like it doesn't say party affiliation or anything, which is kind of weird. But I'm wondering if I can bring him on. Maybe I can convince him 
or try to, to not <laughs> do it. You ain't going to convince a Kennedy. <laughs> you ain't going to convince a Kennedy of anything. <laughs> huh? He's and different, Kennedy though. Either. He's the black sheep of the family. He's not like the others. Yeah, maybe. yeah, I mean, Teddy was a true blue progressive. He was, you know, for what it's worth, he was, you know. I don't know about shaking Bush's hand with the, uh, what's that No Child Left Behind thing was, eh, wasn't so good, but. I think Robert Kennedy's insight into what's going on with the medical stuff is worth the interview because he really, he was on Jimmy Dore and he started to delve into the connection between the military industrial complex and the um, National Institutes of Health with this whole COVID thing and how when the Obama administration shut down gain-of-function testing, um, the Defense Department actually went to, they wanted to continue that type of exploration, but the Defense Department couldn't get it done on its own. So it had to go through the National Institutes of Health to get that type of thing going. And that's what led to the um, situation with the Eco Health Alliance and the eventually the Wuhan lab. So he is really mm -hmm. in that and it helps you put the whole picture together. And so the, the problem is if you start talking about that a lot on on YouTube, it's it's bye bye channel for Sabby. <laughs> Yeah, I would have to tell him ahead of time, like... Okay, then hey, maybe he's not the best. I can't talk about... <laughs> well, I would have to tell him, like, I can't talk about the Wuhan lab and stuff because I'm not a large channel and unless, they will remove me. But, but, but my goal was to convince him to, to not run through the Democratic Party. And I say that because because of his takes on the government agencies, right? The alphabet letter agencies and the vax mandates. So the way I kind of look at it is though, hey, he may be able to pull some of those independent voters and maybe even some of the conservative voters who are like, yo, fuck this shit. Trump is crazy. <laughs> some of you those know. people, I don't know. Well, you could have them on mm -hmm. uh, Rockfin, just do the uh, whole interview on Rockfin and ask them everything you want to ask them. But shouldn't anybody who's going to run that you'd want to even vaguely vote for already get that? I mean, Jill Stein gets that. You know, it's... I think Jill might be coming on next week. Cool. But she's not running for president. But but he's he's thinking about running for, he already said he has an exploratory committee, so that's usually a sign, right? So if he has that, that means he's thinking about running. What I'm saying is like Eric, you and I, we live in Massachusetts. Maybe we can kind of pull at the heartstrings a little bit. I mean, did, didn't Jimmy try that already? I, Jimmy, I, don't, I, Jimmy don't I, live in Massachusetts. No, I, but I mean, as far as um, making the um, the argument, I mean, I, I frankly couldn't. I, I didn't catch that interview. I, I find RFK really hard to listen to. He's got a he's got like a throat condition. That makes him really croak when he talks. Yeah. He does. And, you know, I don't know. He just doesn't do it for me. But he, he does have a health condition. But this is what I'm thinking, Eric. Look, <laughs> play by play, okay? 
Let's pretend we're on the field. The quarterback has the ball. <laughs> we want to be offense and not defense. So what we want to do is we want to find the best way to get a touchdown, and we don't want to get stopped at the 30-yard line. When they punt off the ball, we want to make sure that we can at least get that ball at least to the 50-yard line. Then we get the ball. And then from there, we got a couple, we got like couple rough, tough linebackers, right? We got to beat those guys. We got to beat the defense, right? But here's the thing. We already know the obstacle ahead of us. You said that Robert Kennedy Jr. is a Democrat. But Robert Kennedy Jr. was also apparently heavily against the vaccine mandates. And he had criticism about the vaccine, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. All we got to do is push him back just enough to get us into the red zone so we can score the touchdown. That's all we got to do. But you know, your back feels in motion, baby. I'm going to have to penalize you. Ooh, back field in motion, baby. I'm going to have to penalize you. Well, that's just not fair. If you're going to start singing like that. <laughs> But actually, I, I do have a rebuttal if you want it. Well, go ahead, Eric. But I, I, I want to let uh, Noelle know you have a beautiful voice. <laughs> That's right. It's not fair. <laughs> I, just, I just came in for the whole football analogy that Sally was doing. I was like, it reminds me of Ryan Grimm versus, uh, what's that, Justin Jackson? <laughs> what? <laughs> The moment you said the football, I'm like, whoa, is she pulling a Ryan Grimm, a successful Ryan Grimm? On Twitter, yeah. <laughs> when he started telling, Hi. when he started <laughs> trying to go head to head against Justin Jackson and football metaphors, it, it was not pretty. Oh, no. You didn't you didn't catch that one? That was almost, no, a while back. Wait, you never saw that video? Ryan Grimm getting bodied by Justin Jackson on a football analogy. Well, I I saw, I saw Justin do that via Twitter. Okay. Um, Yeah, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. Well, let me just say this. It's kind of weird. Stop, you guys. Ew, gross. See now, you're saying I have something in common with Ryan Grimm. That's not cool. (laughs) That's a sure. That's not me. Hey, it's bad cookies. He said it in the comments. But let me just say this: the um, the the I'll tell you the biggest problem I have with RFK and someone like that is to me they he's not talking about the core problem, and and you know I always come back to the same core problem: the the, the money and the and the corruption. You know, big money runs everything. Big money runs Washington. You know, it's like like Jimmy Dora says: it's not a, a little bit corrupt. I mean, it's it's a thousand percent corrupt. I'm not hearing RFK even talk about it. And so I'm, I, I got zero. And, and the same thing with Marion Williamson. Does she ever talk about it? I mean, vaguely, kind of, sort of. If I'm going to even consider 
anybody even in the slightest way to me that has to be like central to what they're doing and what they're about I don't agree with that. ain't no democrat gonna do he that he doesn't light a fire in my belly but but Eric, this guy does what... man i would i would do stuff for her on the but, local but, level but, I think... but eric that's no. where we come in as the massachusetts people <laughs> and we say hey you're on the right track let us keep steering you on the right track and let's talk to you about corruption. And that's where we come in and maybe he might have a, he might feel a little bit different. But he seems he like a die in a womb Democrat. Jimmy tried. Jimmy, he was Jimmy, gonna, but, I, Jimmy but Jimmy lives in California. I know, but I watched, I watched that interview too. There's a point where Jimmy had to even say that uh, uh, working into the Democratic Party or the Republican Party doesn't work. You need to do an outside movement. And he was like, no, I can do it. I can do it, Jimmy, inside the Democrat Party. And then he, he kind of went on some nostalgia shit, just like Marianne, about the Democratic Party is good. You could be, he used to be there. That it was like, oh, he was good. What? So, so Sabrina, can I, get, let me, can I give a little, can I give a little bit of context and give you a trivia question? Is that you know, football? No. Oh, okay. Uh, so check this out. There is a um, there's a station in New York City that's that was around for you know, I don't know since the 30s or whatever the case is. It was um, 1600 a.m. Okay, so it was a liberal station. It, it started out talking about stuff around black issues or whatever the case is. As the decades progressed, it became like a, a left. Uh, you know, like a left type of thing. I listened to it back in the Obama days. That's where I learned about um, Ed Schultz, Ed Schultz radio show. He was on there. Um, Tom Hartman, uh, Randy Rhodes, if you rem- if you remember these people. Um, and also on there at night was R- is RFK Jr., right? That, that's, that's who we're talking about, right? I keep getting these Kennedys mixed up. But, yes, uh, Robert RFK- Kennedy, wait, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., Okay, so guess who he guess who his co-host was that he was doing this nighttime liberal show with? I don't know. Just take just those it's, anyone. Just I, I give you I give you a couple of guesses here. Who? What was that? Did someone say what beer? Year? No. What year are you talking about? Oh. We're talking about during the Obama years. Oh, oh, you didn't mention that at first. Okay. I did. So, I'm sorry. Who was the host? It, okay. So RFK Jr. Okay. Had, was doing a show and he, it, it, it was, it was like, it was a dual show. It was a, he had a co-host. So it wasn't just him. It was him and this other person together doing the show. And I was just asking you, who do you think it was? Hillary Clinton. No. Is it someone I know? Yes. Okay. Um, politician? No. Oh. Was it Jimmy Dore? No. Oh dear. Um, okay, it wasn't a politician. Was it a comedian? No. Was it a, a man or a female? Man. Just gonna ask. Okay, um, it was a man. Um, 
Does this person, is this person on YouTube? Yes. Black or white? White. Was it Richard Wolf? No. Ralph Nader? Nope. He's not on YouTube. Russell Brand? Jay? Nope. Chris Hedges? Nope. Damn, who else? (laughs) Sam Cedar. Should have said David Pakman. I rest my case. Never mind. <laughs> Never mind. Cancel that's, that. Cancel that's why it. I first heard learned about Sam Cedar before he went and did these guest appearances on All In with Chris Hayes, and then he got his own show with the Majority Report. But no, that's that's where I learned about Sam Cedar from. You know, this show that they co-hosted together on 1600 back in the days, it was, let me see how the schedule went. I think it was like um, at 12 to 3, it was Ed Schultz. And at like 3 o'clock to 6, it was Tom Hartman. And then 6 o'clock to wherever, it was Randy Rhodes. And then after that was what's uh, was uh, Sam Cedar and um, RFK Jr., I can't do it. Have you ever watched uh, Sex in the City, Roger? That's where Sam Cedar was first appeared. Stop. I saw that episode. You know what, Ashira? <laughs> you didn't need to remind me of that because, like, I was a Sex in the City fiend. Okay, I have the whole collection. <laughs> well, well, I love those characters, and at that time, I had no idea who Sam Cedar was. And someone told me this a year or two ago, and it ruined it for me. Oh, don't have to remind me. Because <laughs> Sam Cedar loves to bring that shit up on that show. That he he would have could have been a comedian. He could have been a movie star, and he brings up his Sex in the City cameo. He's also a part of a Bob's Burgers too, which I I didn't want to know. I never know got that. into that. I love Bob's Burgers, but he apparently he's made like guest appearances on there, and I'm like, ill gross, go away, stop invading my TV. <laughs> Wait till he gets on Family Guy. And I do, th- I do think his voice would be a hindrance because he, he it it does get to be hard to listen to, because sometimes you don't know what he's saying. Yeah, because I don't know what the hell was wrong. I was like, I was just being mindful. I didn't want to be me. I was like, there's something in his throat. Like, no, yeah, I'm, um, I'm actually on his Wikipedia page, so he has something called uh, spasmodic dysphonia. Okay. Which, uh, which is a, a, a condition that makes the voice uh, quaver. It's the word they use here. But here's yeah. the real kicker. Do you know who his wife is? Cheryl Hines from Who's Curb Enthusiasm. Oh. Stop! Why are you guys <laughs> ruining these shows for me? They were married on August 2nd, 2014, at the Kennedy Compound in Hyannisport, Massachusetts. He lives there at the old Big Kennedy compound. Because they can live anywhere they want. Too close to home. When did he when did he say that he was with the radio show with Sam Cedar for from when to when? I mean, uh what's the deal with uh Pac-Man on Twitter exactly? We covered that on the JBU Sabby show. I, never, I didn't get to see it. Give me what what's what's the deal with it? Ashara, you were in the chat. Uh, no, I, I I popped in, but then I popped out. 
just like a quickie. Oh. Anyway. <laughs> you expect commitment. Uh, no, I, I love quickies. <laughs> TMI. <laughs> this is savvy after dark. <laughs> you find it, Eric? Um, Eric muted. <laughs> he ring of fire. And that was with. Well, um, that show's been trash lately. Ring of fire. Like I, it doesn't he, really give a date, but it is that show. It says with Sam Cedar and other people. I'm sorry. What was the question? No, I just asked what was, can you guess what show he, because uh, you saw my RFK Jr. And I was saying, guess who he hosted a show with on sixteen. What's that? Yeah. No, he was just asking if it was in the Wikipedia article. And yeah, I, I did eventually find it in here. The show was called, is or was called Ring of Fire. I thought, I thought Ashira asked a question. No. No, he was asking what happened with David Pakman, and you said, oh, watch the show with me and JB. We did it already. David Pakman, long story short, you need to watch the show because he deleted the tweet, but we had screenshots. No, I, I saw it online. It was like tweet deleted, tweet deleted, but uh, Colin mentioned something. I saw it. It was Colin that mentioned it. Those are all screenshots. Mm. Because, because David Pakman deleted the tweet. Mm. I'm I'm sorry, Ashura. Um, oh, I'm not mad. I can tell everybody else. Basically, long story short, David Pakman like basically was mocking those kids who were fucking killed at the Christian school mm. for the Wait. fact that oh, God was supposed to protect them. He's such a fucking ass, and so he's mocking them. He got a lot of like shit for it on Twitter. Deleted the tweet. Then came back and tweeted and said yeah. that he was getting attacked. He was getting anti-Semitic. You guys see what this is going? He was getting anti-Semitic attacks. So on a bunch him of and his family. <clears throat> on him and his family. Um, I mean, because of the fact. Then he came back and posted another freaking tweet that showed that he jumped thousands of subscribers since he made that fucking tweet yeah that's that's the one i saw that's the one i saw from colin the one with the there's a where he was stagnant and he jumped up but that 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 jump's not gonna last for long david pacman is gonna bore them you guys this is why i don't the david do things for attention the anna kasparian does things for attention that's why I didn't talk about the Anna trans comment because I knew she was doing that shit to seek out attention to help TYT because they're not growing. Oh, so I haven't even heard about that one. Is there any, what was that one? Call yourself lucky. <laughs> it's not that What's she saying now? Basically. Yeah, it's like that's unsensitive. Oh, I mean, it, it's like saying when they say the right is saying shit about when people get gunned down thoughts and prayers and shit. And he turns around. I think he's trying to be funny. But it didn't work out for him. Look, I'm just going to be honest with you guys. There have been a number of people who are leftists that agree that have reached out to me and told me they agree with what Anna said. And 
it is what it is. But but the thing is, the point that I wanted to drive home to people, which is why I did not cover that fucking story, is that Anna Kasparian it was doing what she did a couple months ago to say something outrageous, to rile up the base, to draw more attention to TYT, and bring more people over. So, um, is it going to be like when they say about Jimmy Dore, his uh, channel being more right-wing? Because if that's the case, then she's going to drive more people, left people out of the out of TYT. Um, well, if you're trying to build a base that includes everybody, you know, maybe they're trying to build the type of base that Jimmy Dore has. Okay, then then, then, then maybe they should take the moniker of Grifter that they'd like to put on Jimmy Dore and put it on themselves. Well, they're not going to do that. Then they have to admit they were fucking lying. <laughs> Also, um, I would say, seeing that the president has less of an effect on our daily lives, as you know, uh, as as you know, uh, we would usually like to think. Um, as these, as the twenty twenty four election gets closer. I think, and you know, this is just a suggestion or whatever, but I think that we should, um, what's that word? Maybe give 20% to presidential and the other 80% to what's going on um, in in uh, the states with the initiatives. Because um, these, these, a lot of these state legislatures, mostly Republicans, are doing things to try to jack up the uh, initiative process. I, I know, I, I know, like you know, I send it out all the time for those who who who, who get it. I'm always giving the update from when I get it from uh, Ballot Initiative Strategy Center. Um, there's one where they are going to put something within Ohio. That's right. So Ohio, um, I think that I think they were successful at getting the citizens of Ohio were successful at getting on the ballot um, a, constitu- you know, a, a constitutional amendment into the Ohio Constitution to protect um, abortion rights. And the, uh, what do you call it? So what the state legislature, the governor did was they, they're like, okay, we are going to have a special election um, to where they're putting forth a um, legislative initiative ballot, uh, the legislature is putting forth a, a, a ballot initiative to say to amend the Ohio Constitution. And it's no longer going to be a simple majority; it's going to be sixty percent. So then, the, so the wine was like, "Okay, we're going to make that a special election for August when no one's paying attention." <laughs> so, you know, right? Th- Go ahead. But the thing is, they had already passed legislation to get rid of the August special elections. And so now the issue is, you know, you want to put the legislation, rescind the legislation to put it back in place for this. And they think it really um, won't work because people don't pay attention to it. And at this point, I don't think they have enough time to rescind the legislation and do the paperwork to get it set up. So um, 
the ballot initiative to amend the Constitution to protect um, abortion and people's access to gender-affirming care will be on the November ballot. So, so, did, you, so did you say that the, the legislature failed to, to, uh, to, to, um, to do the thing where it would require 60% to amend the Ohio Constitution? They've run out of time to put that out there for August. Oh, okay. So, so they still you. they still plan to pursue it. Um, but I don't think that's going to work either because people see it for what it is. Okay. And it's just an attempt to avert this thing about the abortion and um, trans care. So... You know, it's just—it's really so, dis- so dis- disheartening. disheartening. Hey, no, no. Did you hear about the, the, uh, what was going on with this whole uh, this judge in Texas, where it's now it's another ban on a whole bunch of HIV drugs and uh, other, uh, uh, um, I think, birth control, and uh, they're going to go after contraception. Just just a couple days ago, some decision in Texas that is a nationwide going to affect it right now makes illegal to cover by insurance all. Uh, not only that they can, but they must get rid of uh, all these coverage for HIV drugs and uh, and other kind of um, uh, yeah. you know, abortion drugs and all the rest. Yeah, because we have to not lose sight of what's happening in the underpinnings as the attention is on. Because we know it, it don't matter who's president. We, we're not going to get our needs met. But there's more than enough that we could get done in the states, especially those states that allow uh, those citizen ballot initiative states. You see what I'm saying? So we have to watch yeah, that. And, 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 you know, and you think vote. about it, Roger, but you look at Obama and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She's on the record as saying, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I'm, I'm kind of pro, pro-life. Pro and uh, Obama's day one said, no, I'm not, I'm not touching it. I'm not going there. I'm not going to codify it. Well, I mean, all the all the RBG was also racist, and I had a little bit. show about that, and I was just like, <laughs> "No, nah, fuck that!" Like people walking around with those T-shirts that have RBG's face on their T-shirt. I want to puke. They have, the, they have the biggie crown on her head. How dare you, Shabby? Am I? Am I? How yeah. dare you take notorious Big image and put it on her fucking like? head and make her like the the biggie of the Supreme Court justices when she was like fucking racist. It makes me want black people. My head wants to explode. You know? Yeah. Well with 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 justices, I mean that they're they're corporate first, you know, no matter which party or or, or whatnot. And that kind of you know we we're gonna keep having all these problems with with let you know red versus blue and these abortion and and trans bans and and all these these issues be, because it, it's a corrupt system and, yeah and, yeah and but we, we gotta if, worse, if we mean, don't get to the 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 root of it you know we're not going to get anywhere we're just going to keep going in these circles and these things and get these outrages and whatnot and so like when 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 Roger when you when you're talking about ballot measure the ballot initiatives and whatnot I'm I'm 100 percent you know on board in favor and whatnot but what I what I hear about is where are the ballot initiatives for 
real robust public financing of elections, you know, and the things to really clean up this yeah. mess and to really get to, to, to the root of it. And that's something, you know, that I want to figure out if, if, if we can do that in the next cycle in Massachusetts. Yeah, do and, it. Uh, you know. Do it. Put it, put, you know, like, put it on. But the, it doesn't seem like it's happening in, anywhere else. But, but, uh, but, but I do want to figure out how to what? work on that. Yeah. But you know what, Eric? I know you weren't here for the last call-in, but Roger had really good points when he was trying to tell, like, Betsy, like, you know, those politicians are going to try to discourage you oh, yeah. from doing it. And we just got to do our own fucking thing. I'm pretty sure when they were like, oh, let's make uh, weed legal in Massachusetts. Oh, let's uh, let's push forth um, the millionaire's tax. I'm pretty sure they got a lot of resentment and pushback from the politicians. And to to Roger's point, they don't want us to do these things on our own. Exactly. They talk you down from the ledge. Well, I mean, the the type of thing I'm talking about in the in the movement, you know, that I'm proposing or or trying to propose or collaborate on, is one that that's innately, inherently like adversarial to both parties and to any of these politicians that that are in power currently. I mean, I think that needs to be a key part of, of what we do. And it just says, you know, these. Yeah, I was gonna say know, they, they're the enemy. Yeah, I was going to say, um, Eric, I want to let you know that um, when I did that, that anti-war speech for uh, Community of Boston Church, um, afterwards, like, there were a couple people that came up to me virtually and they were like, oh, my God, like, this is so true. Uh, where has this been? Why has no one said this? And I'm like, I was thinking to myself, like, I was kind of trying to be funny, but I was thinking to myself, like, dude, people have been saying this shit in your church for years. Like, Jill Stein's been saying it, etc. But they were like, what do we do? What do we do? And I was like, well, you should check out Eric's 11 Demands. And I gave them your website, whatever. And I said, contact me. And guess what? They actually did contact me. And so if you don't mind, I'll forward them their emails to you. Totally. I want to hear from anybody who's, you know. Yeah, they really want to do something. They want to get involved. And what was interesting, Eric, is like, these weren't like younger people that we we would expect, like passionate about climate. These were like older people. Like the, the guy who contacted me, he was like, Sabrina, I'm like, I'm an older white dude. But um, everything you said, like, he was like, I totally, it's it's true. Because it was about anti-war, but I talked about three, three principles. And one of them was the climate issue, right? And so he was like, this is so fucking true. Like, why has no one said this before? I'm like, and I was thinking to myself, like, they have been saying it. Like, people have been saying it, like. I was at the Rage Against the War Machine rally. They said it. Jill Stein's been saying this for years. Like, obviously, I didn't say that to him. But I was thinking to myself, like, mm-hmm. yo, people have been saying this shit for years. But he was like, I want to get involved. What do I do? And so he he they did email me. And a lot of times I tell people, like, contact me, and they don't. But they actually did. So I'll just, is it okay if I just forward it to you, Eric? 
Oh yeah, totally. I mean, I, on on the eleven demand stuff and then all my website stuff, I have a contact form and just well, you know in, anybody who it resonates with, you know, I, I want to hear from and and see if we can you know gather up a little posse of of some sort. There, I, there you go. There there is also an advantage because even though they may not have um, the the spry of you know someone in their 20s, 30s with all the energy, what they do have is time on their hands because they're retired. Their children, their children are out the home, that they're, they're retired, so they're not working. You know, they, they need something to do, you know, like, hey, I'll do this. And that's, that's kind of what he said. It was just kind of like, look, I'm just sitting around. I want something to do. So... So, yeah, so now- like I'll, I'll forward it to you, but also too, um, in reference to like your eleven demands and things like that. Like, I think more people are like wanting to do this. Just FYI, like they've been reaching out to me, and I've sent them the website info. Like, I think more of them been wanting to do this. So, I think it's more than than what we thought it would be. And the thing is, is that. We'll have to create some type of data database or like I used, um, oh shit, FileMaker. I know it looks old and archaic, but I used to use uh, FileMaker when I worked at uh, MIT and BU to keep uh, records. So that's what FileMaker is typically for, for those who don't know. Um, it's like a database system and that's what I use to keep records. So have your name, contact info, et cetera. Whatever you want FileMaker to be, it can be, basically. But you don't if you don't feel comfortable using FileMaker, then you can use like Google Sheets or whatever. But the thing is, is like more people, I meant to tell you this, like when you went on vacation, more people were contacting me saying they want to do this. So sure, they waited till I left, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking the same thing. I was like, well, damn. Why did you guys wait till Eric like left for like a week? And now you want to do this. He's been talking about this forever. But my thing is, I'm thinking, you know, you want to do it. Obviously, like the bank sisters are into this. And everybody else that's involved in that panel. Roger, I'm sure is into this. Like that kind of thing is like, the more people we can add to it, I think Shama Sawant, Workers Strike Back, they'd probably be into this as well. Then the bigger the movement grows. Wait, like an 11 point agenda? Well, if, if you look at 11demands.org, it's, um, it, it's kind of 11 with the, the word 11? Yep. Okay. okay. Well, this is what I wanted to ask Roger. That, that, that referendum you were talking about, and or ballot initiative, I mean, that was Massachusetts or New York? Not, not. We don't have. Um, New York not, doesn't have it. Right. So right. I was, I was saying, um, that he, um, that Eric is in Massachusetts, so that okay. is a citizen ballot initiative state. Well, 
you know what I want to do is because, you know, I always like to talk about, oh, yeah, man, you know, all these lofty goals. What, what, the real deal is this. So, well, I got to put my money where my mouth is. So I'm going to be out there more and more now that it's spring, et cetera, et cetera. But that 500 signature thing about a congressperson, whoever the congressman is, maybe I could do one in each district that I kind of straddle two districts when I go into the city. It, but anyway, the 500 signature thing, I'm going to go to, I'm sure Nader's website will tell me how to do it because it's 500 signatures, a thousand for a senator, et cetera. Um, maybe a thousand one too, you know, if we can get the first one going, but. You know, so I'll go look at those 11 points because that's what he said. You know, just any group, doesn't have to really even be an official 501c3, which isn't that complicated. Just any group is in for a better central New York or whatever. And, you know, just put something so it's a letterhead. You know, not that you're trying to fake it, just that you're legit a group that you're connected to this one thing. And uh, 500 signatures that can be traced as opposed to, like, street corner signatures, which is fine if you need, like – 5,000, you get 10,000, and they challenge. But no, these are legit, all challengeable, all perfect, yeah, whatever, whatever. But I'll, I'll, I'll do that, you know, 500 signatures, see if I can get our whatever local congressman to show up for and address some of the, you know, the agenda items, the 11 points or whatever it is, yeah. So you could have, a, um, if you do like a public financing of election ballot initiative, Eric, that would... Of course, I guess apply that would apply to the state lawmaker. Well, those who serve in Boston for for the state. Okay, so let me just read this real quick. Initiated state statutes for Massachusetts statutes, just the fancy word for law. After voters collect enough valid signatures for the CBI to go on the ballot as a state statute, it then may be adopted by the legislature and once passed by a majority vote in both houses, it then becomes law. If not adopted, then proponents must collect a second round of signatures totaling 0.5% of the votes last cast for governor, excluding blanks. For initiated constitutional amendments, following the submission of enough signatures, it goes to the Massachusetts legislature for approval where only 25% is required following two successive joint sessions, whether they fall within the same term, you know, or, or you know, to, to reach, uh, yeah, fall within the same term, meaning the two years in between an election or separate terms, two consecutive years with an election in between to reach the ballot for voter ratification. No secondary batch of signatures is required. However, when a citizen proposed amendment is placed before the legislature by voters, uh, please, yeah, however, when a signature proposed amendment is placed before the legislature by voters, lawmakers with a, a three-quarter supermajority vote called into joint session can amend the proposed amendment. So, you know. Yeah, I mean, there, there's a whole process. I mean, one of the things about this is that it, this isn't like like brand new novel. I mean, we actually had um, a committee, uh, you know, on on the books, and and yeah, they they ended up, you know, basically getting rid of it with the excuse being, you know, the, the funding, and they they did shenanigans with with another ballot initiative and whatnot. Um, and so, I mean, the, the mechanics are definitely there and this. This is definitely, there are things that can be done. And there's also at the national level, the whole constitutional amendment part of this and, and whatnot. I mean, let me say, one of the things I, I guess, 
my, I don't know if I'd call it a frustration, maybe a, um, a roadblock. I, I feel like that I, or, or kind of the, the concepts seem to keep running into, it's just the, this basic idea of, of the, of a recognition of the money and the corruption being the core problem. Like it all, it always, you know, all roads lead to Rome. It's like, it always comes back to that. And I, I, I feel like, I feel like when I, when I put that out there, like when I, when I did that panel um, the on that, that Friday and, and that's what I was kind of trying to, to sell in a sense, kind of put out there is, you know, this is, the key thing. This is the thing that has to be the focus that has to be what we have to solve or, or fix or else nothing's going to get better. And, and I feel like I, I say that and I put that out there, but it, it doesn't seem to land. And I guess I that's what I'm wondering about. You guys did a panel we collaborate on that, you know? Oh, um, see, the way I see it again, I think Roger, like Roger, you'd probably be good on that panel too. But again, he doesn't want to be on camera. Yeah, that's the that's the thing. But he's already been on camera. We've caught Roger's face before. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, it's over. Just be on camera. You're you already caught Roger. But but I I want to but I want to hit this this key point like am I doing something wrong is there some other way to to approach this am I you know it isn't isn't this the track we need to be on and the focus or is it not I think I think you got you got you got to need more people speaking out about it I mean Sabi had to well, that's go what I'm trying somewhere. to do right <laughs> Sabi had to go somewhere and all of a sudden this guy said oh I I never heard this before maybe he has heard it before but he just never really listened or he was never down that deep in the dumps I think he's saying he got to go away somewhere so more people can get <laughs> take more vacations <laughs> yeah 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 take more vacations Eric. I think the thing is, is that if you're leading it, because like I've said before, I can't lead anything, anything else, because my my bandwidth is not there anymore because I'm doing so many other things. Mm -hmm. So running for governor is off right now. Okay. No, but I mean, like if you're (laughs) leading it, then like, I mean, now like there's more people who have made it very clear to me they're interested Mm-hmm. But once I hand those people over, like once I send them to you, like they're going to be looking for a sense of direction. Mm-hmm. So you have to direct them on like, okay, this is what we're going to do. Whether that means like having direct action events or et cetera. Ballot initiatives. And, and even, even just ballot initiatives, direct actions, et cetera. Like, there are people who want to do something. They contact me all the time. And every time I tell them, I hear you, I feel you, unfortunately, I don't have the bandwidth to actually lead it. Because with my show, RBN, my job, the RBN chapters and other direct actions that I'm already signed up for. Like I'm signed up for direct action events months out. For example, I'm signed for a May Day event, work a strike back, things like that. So I think that once they come, they they're they come to you, they're gonna be looking for direction because they really don't know what to do. So that's the thing, right? So if you need 
any type of help with that on how to give direction in reference to that like i dealt with that with my students because they come to me all the time be like okay i did this now what and i always always tell them like here are the list of instructions take those instructions and go for it and they'd be like okay but are you going to come with me <laughs> well, no like like you have to take those instructions and do it on your own and that's the thing i think that i found a couple years ago with organizing there are some people that they want you to grab their hand and tell them how to do everything piece by piece and the reality is when you are organizing a lot of us who are organizers we have a job so we don't have time to take everyone by the hand and take them oh. step by step by step by step. So that's the big key. If you already have a list of instructions, this is what we need to do. And you have to appoint people and say, okay, you, you're in this area, you're in charge of this area. You're in charge of the Boston area. You're in charge of the Worcester area, etc." And to a spreads to a national movement. This is exactly what Justice Democrats did. A lot of people don't realize that. That's what they did. They they took people in different areas and said, okay, you're a part of this, 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 and that. No different from a political campaign. Marianne Williamson is doing this right now. Shama Sawant is doing the same thing right now. So you have to have people in different places across the country that are going to be able and have the time and the energy to lead the people in their area. Now, that being said, there will be infiltrators. There there always are. But typically, from my experience, they're far and few. Also, I found out, um, so North Dakota, they have, um, what I was looking on there, and one of the initiatives they was trying to do is making the signature petition process easier by doing it online, okay? And uh, they would need to pass an initiative so that you can make the initiative process easier for future initiatives, um, which I think is a good idea. The only thing is it leaves out people who live in the rural parts of state where there is no broadband infrastructure, and it leaves out people who live in a, in a city who might have crappy internet infrastructure, but that's, that's, you know, maybe an idea you might want to take, but if you, if you're going to do the public financing of elections, they probably, since it's a, uh, since it's a, since Massachusetts is not a currency issuer, you would have to find the tax to pay for that public finance, public financing of, a, of elections. So, my thing was always, you know, a public bank to create the uh, surplus. Other than that, you're just going to have to find, a, uh, you know, a way to pay for it with some type of tax. I will. I always felt. Um, I never looked at. I did look at the money, in terms of the big money. The big money. It's ruining. It, it's ruining everything, right? But then I started looking past the money, and I started looking at the source of where that money is coming from which is the corporations, which is the, you know, uh, uh, Wall Street and so on and so forth. So that's why my approach is 
instead of like, instead of dealing with the money, I deal with, with, I try to combat the source of where the money is coming from. That's why I always booth, boost uh, worker cooperatives to try to compete and push out the corporate. So now the co-ops, the cooperatives can actually be the money in elections. And then from there, we decide to go from there in terms of public financing or whatever. And with the Wall Street, Wall Street, I combat that with, with uh, public banks to diminish their power in a state or municipality. So I, I always, I used to look at the money, but I started looking at the source of the money, if that makes uh, sense. That's why yeah. I always mention public banks and cooperatives to combat the source of the big money. Yeah, it does. Um, I'm going to have to tune out because it's like almost three o'clock in the morning. Um, but I think we have like a good start here. You can uh, case studies in the chat if he, I think he wants to say something. And you got Noel that was oh, also kicked out by. Well, case. case, I'll invite you to speak. And Noel, I'll invite you to speak. And, Thank uh, you, Savvy. Good night. Thank you all. Thanks, uh, I'll say one last thing before I go. Uh, I almost lost an acquaintance today over over Trump for Biden because you know what? I, what? No, I gotta keep going. Uh, you know, I live in. I uh, basically work at a building, and there's always like these security guards. They have to check you in when you come in, and they're always watching on the computer. And this guy, he's he's an old Muslim guy. He's from Somalia, and he's always watching CNN. And the Trump indictment thing came up, and uh, he was talking to me. He says, "Hey, they they got Donald Trump. Uh, he's not gonna win." Uh, I'm like, "Okay." I'm like, "You don't." He said, "You don't seem surprised." I'm like, "No, they're not gonna do anything to Donald Trump. This is gonna be like a parade, and Donald Trump is gonna use that to basically win." He's like, "Why? Like, don't you like Donald? Don't you like Joe Biden?" I'm oh like, God! I'm like, Joe Biden's a racist. He's like, "Oh, you're brainwashed." I'm like, what do you mean I'm brainwashed? Well, you're brainwashed. You want Trump to win. I'm like, no, 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 I don't want Trump to win. I'm like, they're, they're, both, they're both bad. I had to go on Joe Biden's record on this guy. He tried to, <laughs> he tried to pull the bullshit some, some over, over my eye by saying, well, if he was a racist, why would Bar Barack Obama choose him? Because Barack uh -oh. Obama thought that he was never going to win with a Muslim name. That's why he basically doesn't say the Hussein part of his name. And I go into Joe Biden and the busing thing. And he said, but but those were years ago. Joe Biden must have changed by now. How old was this guy? <laughs> he's, a, no, it, he's an old guy. He, he's a friendly guy. But I, I think uh, the reason why he's saying that because he was hungry. Because he's been fasting for <laughs> a couple of days. So okay. the hour that he has to eat is not up yet. And he's cranky. Okay. And at that one point, he told me, I'm not going to talk to you again. Like, you seem like... Uh, uh, you seem like you don't know politics. Well, I'm like, no, bro, I understand. You just, you're just propaganda. Going to war. You're watching CNN all day. And, this is really uh, good though, Ashura, because this is like, this is like part of our whole project. You know, is to try to combat the propaganda. Well, yeah, that's why I told him that. At one point, he came back to me, talked to me. I'm like, I thought you said you weren't going to talk to me. He said, No, 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 man. I was, I, I was hungry. I was just hungry. <laughs> <laughs> I was just hungry. I've I, I, been fasting all day. I've been fasting for six a.m. <laughs> I'm just hungry. I'm like, okay, but I'm like, bro, Joe Biden is still a racist. He's still a bad guy. But why do you think Trump is better than him? I'm like, I don't think he's better than him. I'm like, I don't like both of them. He says, well, don't you like Trudeau? Trudeau likes black people. I mean, oh, where you from? 
Is that where you from? I'm from Haiti. Like, yeah, but what about all the Haitians that come in here? They vote for uh, the, the the liberals. And the liberals are like the Democrats. They don't mean shit. They basically don't take you for your vote for token votes. That's to get in power. You're never going to do shit. But 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 what you like conservatives? I'm like, I don't like any of them. I've never voted. Is that why? Because I don't like any of them. Politicians are liars. Okay. Well, case study QB, you're on the mic. Hey, what's up, everybody? <laughs> With, um, the as far as like, are you hungry? Yeah. You know, that's what that reminds me. That story reminds me of that's like a commercial. Anyway, um, much love to everybody. Much love to the chat. You know, uh, yeah, I, I was listening for a while here working at work. Um, and I want to remind everybody, we're going, I don't know if Tab, you might have said it, that we're going to be doing the Sunday. Oh, you're muffled, Case. You're muffled. Yeah. Okay, sorry about that. Yeah, I was in that. Uh, did you tell everybody about the panel already? About the student loan panel? Yeah, I told them on Sunday. Cool, cool. Okay, I, was just, I came in late into the chat. And no, I just want to say to everybody, oh, about Robert Kennedy Jr., I'm very interested in his campaign as well. The only thing that my pet peeve is when I go to a candidate's website and I do not see what they're for. I don't see policy. I don't see an issues page. And the last time I checked, I don't know if he updated it yet, but the last time I went there, he was just asking people. And that's my pet peeve. How are you asking me to volunteer and to, to donate money to you? And I have zero clue what you're about. Like, it's such like a, I feel like there's a slap in the face. You know, I don't, what do you think, Savvy? Savvy don't like it. I went to his campaign page, too, and I was like, what is this? <laughs> Dude, like, what are your issues? Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, I would definitely be very interested in his campaign. I just want to know, are you for Medicare for all? Are you for such and such, whatever uh, other progressive policies that's out there, UBI, et cetera, because I think that he, he was one of the few people that when coronavirus first hit, that and they were talking about closing down the schools and all that stuff. He he was putting it out there like you don't want to do that because it's going to really emotionally hurt these kids. Like everything that he said, pretty much that was going to happen happened. Like at this point, we hear about a lot of depression among kids. Kids can't even um, they're unable to look at the emotions or, or gauge emotions because everyone had masks on their faces, and a lot of these society issues that he predicted happened so i think he's a very smart guy i think he knows um about the elites uh, uh how to hopefully how to deal with them because um his you know of course his father passed and his his uncle passed and i'm sure he was very uh knowledgeable about what happened in that area so if he ever get to that level of presidency which i don't uh, i doubt that the deep state will allow him to get to that level but we'll see what happens he would know where the bodies are buried and where to hit uh like attack the institutions that hurt us to this day but you know i i don't even know if they'll let him get to the debate stage but i'm optimistic just like marianne if if they are able to get to a point where a, a debate stage I, I think it's personally i think it's only beneficial to have a discussion that's not being talked about right now yeah unfortunately um from what i've heard there won't be any debate but <laughs> that's from what i've heard but things could change 
I wouldn't yeah. be surprised. They would need like an establishment person that people take seriously to then have a debate. Like, let's say Gavin Newsom says, I'm running. Then maybe they might have Marianne and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. on the same stage. But other than that, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they don't have a debate. May I uh, leave you with a smile on your face that we were having in uh, the group DM on on Twitter, B Jose Lucy, so on and so forth. You didn't see this. I sent I sent the uh, I sent this to you, uh, Sabrina. You'll see it. Um, Lu- Lucy asked, "I once saw AOC at the dog park." with her stupid pug. I greatly regret not being a heckler back then. So then I asked her, Lucy, if that happened today, Lucy, right now, how do you approach her? What would you say? So someone else asked a good question. I'm expecting something like force the vote, Medicare for all, Ukraine, you know, the CARES Act, to which she answers, I probably tell my dogs to charge. <laughs> what? Ah, you missed the joke. <laughs> I thought I explained it. <laughs> Dad joke. Dad joke. <laughs> well, you well, you know what? That was her. That was her joke. <laughs> oh shit! I'll tell Lucy. Dad joke. That's a three a.m. joke. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was funny. I, I, I just want everyone yeah. to give a shout out to Case. Case, uh, what's up? What's up, everybody? Thank you. I know you're on your way out, Sabrina. And I just let everybody know I miss you guys. I haven't been on as often because I said, you know what? I'm going to, put, you know, put my head down and work on this website. And I'm happy to announce that I'm ready to launch. I'm going to talk to Sabi about how we can uh, do this and listen out very soon. Well, congratulations. Sabby sleepy, but I will let you guys know. I think I may stream Saturday afternoon um, with Christian Parenti. Um, oh, if wow. you're, yeah, That's if you guys nice. are following my newsletter, obviously I'll send out an alert ahead of time. But I'll know for sure probably tomorrow, and I'll tell you guys via live stream as well. Um, as well as I'll put it on Twitter. So I'll, I'll let you guys know ahead of time because I don't usually stream on Saturdays. But uh, this is a really important discussion because yeah. he wrote an article about the lockdowns. And we're going to talk about the whole like financial crisis, the banking crisis, and all that shit. So I'll let you know for sure if it's going to be on Saturday. But you guys will know one way or the other. I'll either, I'll put it on Twitter, I'll put it in my newsletter as well, and I'll put it on the community tab in YouTube, and I'll tell you guys tomorrow as well. Is he related to Michael Parente? That's his son. That's his son. That's his son. And I trust that you're all subscribed to Savvy Substack so you get these updates. Yeah, I keep telling people, I know it's a pain in the ass. You don't want to sign up for something else. But everybody I know that tell me they're signed up to the newsletter, they get all the notifications. If you get one email a day, let it be Savvy's. Based. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you. All right. Thank you.
you so much guys for hanging out and case thank you so much for joining and i'm sorry yeah. case, i think when you tuned in you tuned in i was Good cussing morning. out um what's his gator. name gordon gator 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 i was cussing his ass out because I felt like I was like, dude, you've done this multiple times. He's one of these people who who pokes at you, you know, pokes at you, pokes at you, pokes at you, and then you yell at him, stop poking at me. And then he's, why are you yelling at me? Why are you being so impolite? And then he starts saying the same thing over again, pokey, pokey, pokey. So I finally was just like, dude, do you fucking live here? No. I was like, okay, bye. <laughs> <laughs> well, much love to y'all. Much love to you, too. Yeah. See you Sunday. Bye, guys. Indeed. Good morning. Good morning. Bye. Good morning.